0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Terror fans nationwide and worldwide. It's Wednesday night. It must be that time once again for your pals over at Talking Terror to bring you all the terror and all the horror that your little minds can handle. As always, I'm your pal, the King of Horror, Andy G, welcoming you back to this episode. This week, we go to my pick of the week, and I decided to take the boys back to 1984 to review the film The Initiation, directed by Larry Stewart. So we're going to get into some bodacious sorority babes some murders, some killings. You know, it's going to be interesting. But before we get to that, I am joined as always by the bold, the beautiful, the cool Geek Keith.
2: What's up, everybody? What is happening, fellas?
1: Welcome back to the show, Ghoul. How the hell are you this evening?
2: I am glorious as I pick up cat shit that my dog decided to pull out of the litter box because she's a little <laughs> pest that likes to eat cat shit. You shamed bastard, you. Stop <laughs> eating cat shit, dude.
1: That is glorious as Bobby Roode over there picking up cat shit.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> uh, welcome to it. And you can hear the giggling in the background. That is also our other host for the evening, the Mad Monkey, fresh out of the cage, and he's almost out of tapioca. So that must mean he's ready to talk. Monkey. <laughs> hey there, talking to our family. Uh, this is your
0: furry little horror co-host, the Mad Monkey here. Oh, just want to sit there and say to all of you listening at home and to my horror family, it's October,
1: motherfuckers. It's our month. <laughs>
0: It is indeed Yeah,
1: finally made it to October Where I just wish it would get a little bit cooler out Because I don't know about you guys But it's still hot as fucking Satan Falls outside It's still like 80 (laughs) degrees I'm like, can't get a 50 degree day Just one Uh, Just one, my that's It was sticky
2: yesterday, but today was much better. I mean it wasn't it wasn't as hot as humid. I mean we had some uh some hella thunderstorms rolling through last night over here in uh the, the Monroe, New Jersey area. And by when I say hella thunderstorms, I mean one of those strikes had to have been in the woods across the street from the house. The ghoul girl and uh you know and little Sammy were in the living room having their little sleep overnight and I was in the bedroom and it was Like, one of those sounds that was so loud, it, like, shook, like, my being. Like, I'm laying there in the bed, and, like, I saw the flashes of light, and, like, I knew immediately that it had to be close just by the brightness of it. But the sound that followed was just, it was body shaking. And, you know, I instantly got up, and, you know, as soon as I was... I paused my movie, and by the time I got to the door, the ghoul girl was already at the bedroom door, like, you know, in full-on panic (laughs) mode, talking about how whatever it was, it was like red light outside, you know, that's... How close it was! I don't know if it hit a tree out there and lit everything up, or, or what. But you know, I could have hit the dirt, and that caused it to to look red. You know, they say that uh, red lightning is you know based on different atmospheric disturbances. So, whatever the fuck it was, it was close. It was loud, and yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely uh, yeah, shook the shit out of me. <laughs> crazy.
0: You yeah, I you didn't have <laughs> oh, go ahead, monkey. Uh, no, no, I was going to say it. No, that's the goal if he had more aliens in his backyard or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know me with no.
2: that, man. And speaking of that, actually, with the NJ HorrorCon just this past weekend, um, that's right. I have to give a uh, a round of applause to Russell Hackett, who is the star of Abducted. Um, he is the, uh, the the lead role in it, and he did win Best Actor uh, really? in the HorrorCon for, right uh, for for films. So yeah, definitely, man. Props out to you, Russ. It was it was a blast working with you, man.
1: Where's your goal? You were in that. You should get a little nice yes, little trophy there.
2: Yeah, well, no, like, it wasn't hey, for the man. best movie. It was just Best Actor. And again, man, that's all Tom Ryan, dude. You know who actually has <laughs> to come back to do some i got to coordinate with him. He's got to do some, uh,
1: some some pickup shots and shit. So, Well, okay. Well, you know, hopefully that will work out. I mean, it's, it's cool that you were part of it. You know, hey, get a supporting actor award. That'd be nice. Nice little <laughs> Horaton trophy. To, to put on the yeah. old mantle. <laughs> oh, I'm just happy to times. do my part within the
2: film. So I'm glad I didn't look like a jackass within the movie. You know, every I didn't look like a, a <laughs> tomato in a suit. I'm um, very, very happy about that um, So, yeah, no, overall it was, uh, it was again, a great experience A lot of fun, great people to work
1: with And, you know, friends, friends of friends, man So, always a good time Yeah, it's always cool So, how are you Monkey? tonight uh, now that you're joining us back on the show? Well, I'm cool, man I'm excited about tonight's episode I'm excited about talking
0: about this film uh, And where's the doc?
1: You didn't watch it, did you? No, just kidding. <laughs> oh, here we go. The, doc, the,
2: the doc has another event for this evening, so he shall not be joining us. Oh, I guess he didn't. You know what? He was He was probably supposed to put that on the message thing. He had sent me a message about it a day or two ago, and I think he meant to tell everybody else, and you know what? He probably forgot.
1: He oh. did not, unfortunately. So that's okay, Uh, you know, because I was I was wondering myself where he was, but uh, that's okay. You know, we'll have to sally forth uh, without the good doctor. Uh, So, without him, (laughs) I don't have the the list of horror articles that I know he likes to discuss. But I do have a couple things. Uh, One thing I think it's going to take up a little bit of time. Uh, I posted it on the Talking Terror page earlier this week about Friday the thirteenth and the ongoing lawsuit. Uh, between Victor Miller and Sean Cunningham and representing Horror, Inc. on the Cunningham side. Victor Miller won uh, an initial lawsuit earlier this week. So he is that much closer to getting back the copyrights. But on Horror, Inc. side, Sean Cunningham, he said, we're going to be making more Friday the 13th movies. Don't you worry. We've got plans. We're going to make some more Jason Voorhees movies. It's Mm going to be good. But that's where it gets complicated, folks. Because Victor Miller, if he wins the entire lawsuit, that means that he gets U.S. rights to Friday the 13th, Pamela Voorhees, and the locations that the movie takes place in, which is Camp Crystal Lake. The argument to be had is whether or not he can own the character of Jason Voorhees as an adult that we see in part two through ten, and then Friday, uh, Friday versus Jason, the remake, the hockey match Jason, the most famous one. Because in the first screenplay that Victor wrote, Jason was just a kid who had died, and that's what led Pamela Voorhees to start her killings. So it's kind of a muddled thing where if they wanted to make more movies on the horror inside, which John Cunningham, they would only have international rights to do so. So they wouldn't be able to distribute the movie in the U.S. They would have to only distribute it overseas and make some money that way, which I guess would be fine for the foreign overseas market. But you would want to think that they would want to reach an amicable agreement to have something where Friday the 13th and Jason could be amicable between Victor Miller and Sean Cunningham. It is a mess, and we'll go through more details as we talk about it. But I wanted to get your guys' opinion about this ongoing mess, because just when we thought it couldn't get messier, it kind of did.
0: Cool. Why well, don't you think up? Because I know you no, guys Mon- were part of the conversation.
2: Oh, okay, man. Uh, I mean, sure? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, you <laughs> go ahead. Because you guys were having a big-ass conversation about this on the group chat.
2: We were. Uh, I mean ultimately listen man this is a this is a mess for us that are fans of the Friday the 13th film series. Agreed. Um you know and that I think is what sucks the most. You know really you know Victor Miller maybe he's throwing out legal fees maybe he's doing this maybe he's doing that but you know the the, the realistic thing is, is he's not losing anything by going through all of this besides maybe right. just not doing what he does for a living, which I thought was writing. So I guess he's so busy doing this that he's not having time to do that. Um, (laughs) You know, Cunningham and and new life cinema and all them, whoever, whoever owns the rights on that end now, or thought they own the rights on that end now. I mean, yeah, this is preventing them from making another movie, but you know what? They do have other films that they can be doing. They they have other work that they can be putting out there and, and doing as well. So, all of this stall factor all all of this stalling tactic it's just hurting us as fans you know it's it's making us angry at the process I know for me personally, it's kind of making me angry at the two people involved here, both Cunningham and Miller, because it's like, listen, mm-hmm. you know what, I have an idea. Why don't you just simply put out the fucking product and split the money you know, fairly amongst you guys, whoever's doling out whatever they have to dole out to do it. You know, they get their cut. You know, Miller, if you're going to write this story, if you've got some fucking idea crammed up your fucking skull to actually do a sequel to Friday the 13th, then you know what, man, enough's enough. Man the fuck up. Put your money where your mouth is and, you know, make a deal with, with Cunningham. And if this fucking film is actually good, if the story is actually fucking good, then demand that you want more fucking money. But as of right now, you wrote Friday the fucking 13th, which was a film that was a low-budget fucking horror film that had great legs because it had an awesome surprise twist ending. It was a movie that nobody had kind of seen all that often at the time that it came out. And that's that. You know, the rest of the franchise, all the sequels, all of that stuff, really wasn't him. You know, yeah, these are, this yeah. is a character that got crafted over years. The Jason that you see in Part 3, you know, yeah, is he kind of a continuation from the Jason in Part 2? Sort of. But by the time you see him in Part 4, it's something else. Part 5, it ain't even fucking him. Part 6, he's a zombie. Part 7, he's, you know, at that point, he he's got more in fucking relation to Frankenstein than he does... To to the, the little bay, you know, the little boy in the lake at the end of the first film. Which you know, what I had brought up with that is, is you know, if it's supposed to be a dream sequence, then Jason never really exists. So what claim do you have to the monster man that is Jason?
1: You know, you want to continue well, making films what, with uh, the boy? Yeah. Go ahead. And that's where it gets kind of more complicated. Like we were talking about in our group chat, is that as I had said, Ron Kers wrote Friday the 13th Part 2, and he also wrote Part 3, which had Jason as an adult in the bag in Part 2 and in the hockey mask in Part 3. So that's the adult version of Jason. So Ron Kurz technically is the creator of the adult Jason as we know him. As far as it going from writer to writer, like the have said, it does change in format from him being alive to him being undead to a zombie to being a cyborg in Jason X. So it goes without saying he's changed from movie to movie. But it also means that with Victor Miller winning the lawsuit, if he goes on and wins the rest of it, that means that uh, Sean Cunningham can't even use Friday the 13th in the title. He'd have to use Jason Kills or Jason Goes Abroad or something like that. He wouldn't be able to use the Friday the 13th name because that would technically be owned by Victor Miller. So it it just gets sloppier and it gets messier. And like Gould said, I think it needs to become an amicable terms type of thing. You want to make money. I want to make money. Let's come to terms. Let's broker a deal that the fans get their movies we get paid and everybody goes home happy so monkey what do you think because you didn't really weigh in on this when we're talking about it in the group chat and i want to hear your opinion yeah it's just again just like you
0: guys are saying it's like right now we are the kids who are stuck between mommy and daddy fighting you know and want to get a divorce and we're stuck having to watch it all happen and we just want the product you know, that, that's all we want. We don't care about your, you know, your rivalry that's going on. We don't care about your bickering and your fighting. It's, you know, like everyone had just said, come to terms, give us a product so we can continue loving the franchise. If you actually have some actual product. If not, you're just sticking around, you know, then fuck off and get the hell out of there. You know, but, you know, get it all side just because, you know, so many things are locked up right now. You know, like again, uh the Google's PlayStation game, you know, is still locked for content. You know, can't can't get anything new. At Xbox, uh, thank you. Okay. Because right now available free on PlayStation Plus is the Friday thirteenth game, which you can download for free for October. Just putting that out
1: there.
2: But you'll get um, no new but you'll get no you'll get no new D L C for it, just so you know. nope. <laughs>
1: yeah. Which I mean, yeah. it's fine you know, for PlayStation fans. You know, I mean, people are use PlayStation, they want to get the game for free. But it seems like, wow, that's you know, kind of a slap <laughs> Listen, in the face. What? People pay for it. But, say,
2: Xbox, yeah. PlayStation, they both do the whole like they put out a free, you know, one or two free games per month. And what I've mm-hmm. what I've realized with those games are typically, you know, especially when it's something like Friday the Thirteenth, which has been out for you know quite some time now. When they put it out for free at this point, it just means the game is not making money anymore, or and people are not playing it anymore. So in order to generate that interest, now they're hoping that they're going to grab those people that didn't pay for it and will now download it so they actually start playing it. And they can hope yes. from there. But you know what? You're about to enter – you know, as far as gamers go, this is, you know, this is hell season for us. Now all these great games all come out at the same time, you know, just before the holidays, and you got a new Call of Duty around the corner and all kinds of stuff, so.
0: Yeah, but, you know, this is a lot like the situation that happened with the James Bond movies because you had one guy who wrote one James Bond movie but somehow was able to get the rights to it while Broccoli did all of the other James Bond movies and there was a whole lot of shit going on for a long time about who actually had the rights to James Bond, and, you know, a lot of shit got caught up, and that's why things were kind of in a little bit of a purgatory in the mid-80s, you know, with that stuff, and unfortunately, we are getting the same thing where we are locked up in the middle of the situation, and it seems like, you know, like the ghoul said, they're just stalling and not giving us fuck, and it's you know, and honestly, it's a Friday the 13th movie, guys. It's like it's not that hard to write a Friday the 13th movie. Just you know, but but still, just give us some shit, man. You know, stop your stalling, stop your bickering.
1: You know, hug, hug and kiss, make up, and l- let's get back to making movies. Yeah, because I mean, who is ultimately going to gain from this? It seems like neither side. I mean, Victor obviously is in it for the monetary gain, and I don't blame Victor Miller for wanting to go after that money that he feels he's owed. I mean, he as a writer is entitled to money, but it just it becomes muddled after the fact when everything gets locked up. So that way we're not going to be able to get new content at all for Jason while this whole thing gets worked out. So it's unfortunate for us fans that we have to sit and wait around and hopefully wait for this thing to get all worked out. I think that a, a deal needs to be brokered, like, the, Google said, like just, the monkey had said.
2: I just, you know, it's just, It baffles me, you know what I mean? Like, what was he asking for? You know, how much was he asking when, you know, at some point or another, he had to have at least thought to negotiate to get something. And he gave them a number. And, you know, either the studio or Cunningham, whoever it was, just shut that number down, you know, and... Mm -hmm. You know, on their standpoint, you know, what number did they offer him that was so offensive that the guy is willing to go through all of that? I mean, by the time this gets settled, he might be fucking
1: dead. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, either side's getting any younger. Yeah, that's why, you know, the
2: the studio will live on beyond Cunningham, but, you know, like as far as Victor Miller goes... You know, it's, I mean, I don't know if he's got kids or anything like that, but uh, you know, I don't know what their claim is. I guess it's his estate after that, but it's still it's, it's because, just tying up money and time and and just a headache, man. Just give me a fucking Jason Voorhees movie already. But <laughs> because with with all, with all this Victor Miller stuff, what is he
0: claiming he has the right to other than the first movie? Is he claiming like he has the right to the the name uh, yeah. Crystal Lake? Does he also have right to the name Jason Voorhees Correct. and
1: all, yeah. and all of that, he owns, as well. that. Yeah. he owns Jason he owns Friday the 13th, he owns Cam Crystal Lake, he owns Kenmore Voorhees he's claiming all intellectual property belongs to him because he's the one that created it which like we had said it gets really kind of distorted when you think about it with Jason because that character was vastly different than it was created in the first one and hell even like the goal cool said that jump scare that we get at the end with Alice and Jason coming out of the water at the end That was inserted after the fact with the movie. They thought of that when they were done filming. They wanted to have one last jump scare for the movie. So it wasn't even like Victor Miller wrote that in the script. That was completely created because Tom Savini wanted to have something cool at the end, kind of like Carrie did at the end of the jump scare. So even Victor can't claim for that. So that's where it gets kind of weird. Again,
2: and I know it's, you know, Wikipedia is Wikipedia, and, you know, people write in whatever they write in. But, I mean, according to Wiki here, I mean, it even says that Miller – at some point, I guess, said he hasn't even seen any of the other Friday the 13 films because he does not approve of Jason Voorhees being the killer rather than Jason's mother as she was in the original. Like, is he going to have, like, a fucking headless woman running around killing things? Is she going to duct tape her fucking head onto her body?
1: Like that becomes her? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. That's where it becomes muddled because he technically doesn't own Jason as an adult. That was written by Ron Kurz So, and Ron Kurz has remained silent about this whole thing. He's just sitting back and enjoying it. He's like, I have no part in this fight, guys. Hey, listen, I did what I had to do. Wrote the scripts. I'm good. I got paid. So, just sit back and let you bitches argue. It's just it's it's a shame, you know, because it becomes so you know weird. You know, you can make films, but you can only distribute it overseas. Okay, that's fine, but then the U.S. isn't going to get any of that action.
2: No, we'll just get <laughs> illegal. No, we'll just have to. We'll all get on the black market and start getting fucking illegal DVDs, man.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's exactly what they want, you know. Illegal DVDs. You know, they'll start, but that, they'll they'll start making them in
2: like fucking Czechoslovakia and Poland, where shit's done on the real cheap, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Because Cunningham is the the, the real kind of, of key to this whole thing because he's the one that says he wants to make a Friday thirteen TV series that we've talked about in the past. You know, he wants to make more movies and it's that's fine. But work out these details first so that we can actually get the ball rolling on these things. You know, give the fucking guy a percentage,
2: enough. man. Yeah, listen. It. You know, give him ten, ten give him ten percent of fucking everything, and you know what? Hope that it makes a lot of money. That's all. I mean, 10% ain't going to be all that much, you know, if, you know, you're making fucking, you know, if you're making bank on the deal.
1: And I think Jason movies will always make bank, you know, no matter how bad the movie is. It's, it's a character that everybody knows if you're a horror fan. So I think it's going to make yeah. money either way. You still, have, you, you still have a hockey mask on. It's going to sell. <laughs> well, it has to be Jason. I gonna put the hockey mask on. But yeah. You know, call him Jason, have a take for it's Crystal Lake. So it, it's an ongoing thing, and it doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon. Yeah, It's unfortunate
2: thing. Sorry, I have the Yankee game on, and there was like a really hot chick standing right behind whatever camera they had right there, man. Like you saw her just at the <laughs> back.
1: It's like one of those, like, ooh,
2: look at that. <laughs>
1: Um, yeah. So it, it's one of those things where this thing has been going on for years as it stands. Now it's actually just trying to gain legs as far as the court case goes. But with that Victor Miller victory, it's great because, you know what, you want to see the guy kind of get something for his efforts. But at the same time, you yeah, know, you're not entitled to everything, Victor. <laughs> it's, you know, as much as, you know, you want to get all the back end on all the sequels that came out after the first one, you know, you really mm-hmm. shouldn't be entitled to all that because they took on different things, like the Goulot set with Jason. You didn't create those things. Other writers did. Other directors did. So if you want to take your money from Friday the 13th and go home, then do it. But don't, you know, starve us out because you have a vendetta against Sean Cunningham. You know, just, yeah, I like mean, would- you know,
2: honestly, I would think he, if anything, you get a chunk of whatever he feels he's entitled to the first movie. He gets a chunk of whatever he feels he's entitled to, to the, to the remake. You know, I mean, that would really be it. Those are the two that, you know, drew from his story, so to say.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. For for the most part, yeah, because Pamela Voorhees is in the remakes. I mean, at least she does show up, so, you know, and it has Crystal Lake. No, absolutely. He wants that money because of Crystal Lake being used, and he's the one that came up with the name Camp Crystal Lake. So that's why he feels like, well, all the movies use Crystal Lake. So technically, we don't even know what up. fucking state it.
2: We don't even know what state it's in <laughs> yeah. at this point. Yep. So you know, come on, man. They went to fucking you know New York via Vancouver. So
1: <laughs> I still don't understand how that works. You're in a fucking lake. How are you taking this gigantic like you know, freighter fucking boat all the way to New York? <laughs> you can drive there, get yeah. there faster.
2: If you're watching Jason Takes Manhattan, okay, and that's what you're questioning, instead of questioning how the fucking dad from the, the dead dad from the previous movie tied Jason up at the bottom of the lake and, you know, electrifying the chains, which I guess woke woke a dormant fucking zombie baby up, but you're wondering how they got to fucking New York City via some small lake. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes. Because it just never made any sense. Why do you have this gigantic freighter in the middle that's not even a cruise ship? Like they're like, ooh, cruise ship to New York, woo. No, it's not. It's like this rusty freighter that they're taking. You know, that uh, to New York. Where it's like, come on, Dude, It had a boxing ring in, in it. Place. <laughs> well, yeah, with a boxing ring and a nightclub. And so yeah, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they're going to New York, so if you want to apply the logic of the first couple of films, this movie takes place in New Jersey. So they're going from New Jersey to New York. Okay, well, you can get in a car and get there faster. the fuck do you need a gigantic boat for? And you probably won't get killed there's, on the way. But there's
2: no fun on that, man. <laughs> Again, that, that was, you know, that was Jason takes the ship and fucking, that should have turned into like a, uh, a fucking, what's his name, man? It. The... Go ship. Nah, it should have been you know it should have strictly been him on the ship, never getting to New York, none of that bullshit. But it should have been like the uh, oh god, I want to say fucking no, uh, Russell Crowe, South Park thing with Russell Crowe and Tugger fucking floating oh, around oh, seas <laughs> and, and fucking you know be, beating people up like that's what it should have become. Like that should have been the sequels after that. Like any Jason film following, the boat should have just rolled into like some port somewhere. You know, Jason takes Australia. Jason Jason takes this. Jason takes that. <laughs> you know, fucking Jason clubbing seals in the Arctic at some point or another. You
1: know, <laughs> give him a little sailor cap, like a word on his head, and <laughs> so he jumps off mm-hmm. the boat just to attack things. Yeah,
2: what have mm-hmm. they done? You know, within can Canada. Fucking, give him a queequeg, and we're we're good, dude. We'll fucking, you know, he can hunt the white whale. <laughs> Yeah,
1: but like you had said, like, that's the one thing that bothered me about that movie. It's like, yes, but at the same time, it's those little inconsistencies where I'm like, damn it. I can believe everything else, but this is a problem I have. You know, I could totally believe that he was underneath that water the entire time. And that, you know, that other huge boat that's in the water for some reason struck that line, and all of a sudden he's alive again. Yeah, that makes sense. I believe it. But I was afraid to that.
2: That's what I questioned, man. What happened it's to Tina's ghost father? She reanimated him. He's not the ghost, Dad. He wasn't a ghost. He ghost wasn't built out of corporal form. The, the, the ghost couldn't grab chains and wrap them up. She had to have reanimated the body, just like she had done with Jason when she broke the chains. So if that's the case, is like Tina. Like living with her zombie father. Like, this, this is an offshoot film that needs to be made, you know? Telekinetic Tina and her undead dad.
1: <laughs> so, wouldn't you think they would have dredged the water to get his body out when it collapsed in the beginning of the movie on the dock? Like, don't you think they would have been like, be, well, his body stayed in the At the beginning far. of the movie? Well, they yeah, didn't like, do like, it 10 years far, prior like, or
2: whatever it was.
1: Yeah. The body's in the bottom of the lake. It's not like it's in an ocean. Like, you could go down there and grab the body and have a funeral for the guy. Just don't leave the body down there. Like, well, he's dead, so, okay. He's no father anymore. Like, no, it, you would think that they would dredge the lake to get the body out. But no, in this movie, no, he, he's he's a zombie dad. For some reason, they had to find a way to end that movie, and I guess that's the only way they felt like they could end it. It no, didn't make any sense. To I mean, got no, the no, thing, no, no. too. It wasn't even
2: like, he wasn't even just a zombie dad, he was an abusive Zombie dad. Yes. Yeah, you know, because the, the film opens up where he's drunk and fucking, you know, <laughs> beating on Tina's
1: mom. Yeah, you think he would have taken her with him? Like he would have been like, "Yeah, I killed Jason, but now I'm going to kill you, you little bitch. This is for kill killing me you. back ten years ago." <laughs> <laughs> nope. You know, drunk dad comes out to save the day. <laughs> we well, never see him again. Or Tina, yeah, We should be. We got to be careful.
2: Because if we talk too much about this, Victor may come after us and, you know, require us to actually send him some money because we're talking so much about the Friday the 13th franchise.
1: But <laughs> well, have be, you guys uh,
2: heard Michael Chavez is directing the new Conjuring film?
1: I just saw that. Conjuring 3. They're going to actually, I think, uh, film it next year. Of uh, mm-hmm. course, bloody disgusting. I mean, they haven't released details, but hey, Michael Chavez, at least they have a director, so you know it's getting made. I know that's what we talked about during the Conjuring episode, about whether or not they were actually going to go forth with the third one. So now it's actually eight It's getting made. I mean, I'm looking forward know, to you know, uh, seeing what they do differently.
2: Yeah, I, uh, you know, it's, it's got, uh, I guess, from what they've announced so far... Um, you know, which isn't much, but it's going to, you know, it'll be another Conjuring movie, and we will see uh, see what it is. I'm not uh, not familiar with Chavez's work,
1: so. No, neither am I. I mean, I, I don't even recognize the name, so I couldn't say, oh, yeah, I saw that movie you did. I don't recognize the name, but, you know, it's different, hopefully. I mean, I know that Annabelle is getting another movie like we talked about, which is going to be like Net at the Museum meets Annabelle, which I could care less about. That's going to be a movie I definitely skip. You know, I I don't like those movies, but.
0: (laughs) Now, King, uh, coming October 26th, didn't you have some stuff you wanted to talk about that's going to be released on that date?
1: Uh, You have to refresh my memory. TV show. Oh, yeah. I I didn't know if I was going to bring it up on the show, just because I don't know how familiar you guys are. Uh, But on Netflix, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, is going to be released uh, following Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Not the Melissa Joan Hart Sabrina, but the much darker version that they created in the comic books a couple years ago. Uh, It's going to be on a Netflix run. Um, It's going to take place in Greendale, but it's going to be a lot darker. Uh, Originally, it was supposed to tie in with Riverdale, uh, the show that's on CW right now with Archie and the gang. Uh, But they decided to do their own little thing. A trailer got released today by Netflix. Uh, And it looks great. You know, it looks dark. It has that kind of edge like Riverdale, you know, sexy teens in, in and peril and blood and satanic rituals. But what I thought was most interesting was that Clyde Barker actually donated 150 original paintings to be featured in the show, just to add to the occult aspect. So, along in the school and other places, there's going to be original paintings like Clyde Barker. And I thought that was kind of a cool thing. But I didn't know if you guys were interested in Sabrina or not. I know I am. I can't wait for that series. Yeah. I think it's so cool
0: they're going dark. Well, it's just, you know, I like Riverdale, and I was really hoping for them to stick with it, being tied to Riverdale, at least loosely, just so we (laughs) could at least maybe every once in a while have a crossover, you know, or, you know, when things start to get weird and dark sometimes like they do on the Riverdale show. You know, every once in a while Sabrina shows up or, you know, Jughead shows up on her show or some shit, you know, but, you know, doing it completely loose, you know, I'm curious, though, if they're still going to use the same filming studio and still trying to have, you know, music in the, you know, like soundtracks in it and shit like that. I, I'm curious if they're going to like, you know, be using the same teams of like writers and stuff like that, or is this going to be completely, completely independent of the other show?
1: As far as I know it is, but, uh, you know, because they were originally planning on doing a crossover uh, with the show. I mean, that was advertised, that they were going to do a crossover, Riverdale and Sabrina. And then it just never came to fruition because they wanted to be independent, do their own thing. And they wanted to make Sabrina, because it's on Netflix, a little more violent, a little more bloodier, a little bit darker than the chances of Riverdale doing on CW because of restrictions for TV. So that's right. what really kind of perked my ears up about it. But, uh, you know, Ghoul, I don't know where, where you stand on this, because like I said, I'm a huge fan of the comic books because they were dark, they were violent, and they were fun. You know, it definitely delineated from Sabrina the Teenage Witch with uh, Melissa Joan Hart and the comical cat Salem. Oh, I mean, I just
2: kind of i kind of remember Sabrina popping up in, like, Archie issues, which, you know, I read sparingly pretty much whenever I was at the local wall bombs or, or whatever with, with my mom, and she was busy shopping, so I'd stand there at the uh, comic book rack and just try to read whatever the fuck I could. Um... I'm I'm a little disappointed that Melissa Joan Hart isn't coming back for it. I was really hoping she'd get her yearbook signed. But uh no. Nah, I mean yeah, this is something that I that I have had my, my ear to the ground on. Um, I do know that this was coming. I did know that it's the same showrunner as Riverdale. Um, Riverdale, which I only watched like the first episode of and it made me sleepy so I didn't continue with it. It's on my list of things to eventually get to. Um but uh yeah, just because they're not doing any tie-ins now doesn't mean that down the road they can't they can always bring her over to Riverdale and you know tone whatever it is that she's doing down to fit it into the Riverdale type of thing and they can always bring the characters over from Riverdale to you know the next season of Sabrina. You know, so it's it's not like it's a weekly aired show. It's, you know, they film whatever they film and they get it all done. So they can easily pop that in and have it done and just tone it to however they need to, whether it's for television or if it's for Netflix. Uh, you know, will I check it out? Yeah, I mean, there's a good chance I do. You know, it's uh, it's it's one of those. It depends. I mean, right now I'm I'm balls deep in in a couple seasons of Sons of Anarchy, and I still am trying to catch up on all the Marvel television shows. And Ant Man and Wasp just came out this week, so of course I bought that.
1: You know, meanwhile, still deep diving into every other damn thing I'm watching. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, speaking of of Marvel characters, of Venom also comes out this Friday with Tom Hardy, and we've talked about him on the show before. But I wanted to bring this up uh, because I just read this article the other day about the reviews that are coming in for Venom. Uh, they're not so positive. A lot of them are kind of negative, uh, saying that it can no. Catwoman with Howie Berry. But the thing I find interesting is <laughs> the fact that – and this is something I think you guys are going to get a kick out of. There is people reporting online that there's actually bots and fans of Lady Gaga – that are spamming the Venom review board saying Venom is a terrible movie. It's not very good. You should go see A Star is Born with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. It comes out this week. It's going to be the best movie of the year, guys. Go see it. I thought that was just fucking interesting as hell. The fact that Lady Gaga fans (laughs) are spamming Venom review boards saying, Don't see this movie. See A Star is Born, guys, because you're the audience. You're the guys that are going to want to go see A Star is Born. Are, are you kidding? I mean, that's it's, it cracks me up. And I, I wanted to get your guys' uh, perspective on that, because I think it's just hilarious. <laughs> you know what, honey? I don't want to see Venom instead. Let's go see the Lady Gaga movie.
0: I'm really not in the mood for a comic <laughs> movie after all. <laughs> Let's go watch this half-assed musical.
2: <laughs> what do you yeah. think, cool. <laughs> I, uh Listen, man, I think there's play, There's enough room in this world and in the box office, to appease both of these films. As a person who enjoys musicals, I'll probably eventually see A Star is Born. As a person who enjoys comic book action and horror films, there's a good chance i go see Venom. Am I going to shell out my hard-earned money to go see either of those films in the theater? I don't know. If I was going to do it, though, chances are I'm going to go see Venom, only because, you know, it's got special effects, you know, I'm sure specific sounds, like things that I want to see in a theater environment. Whereas A Star is Born being a musical, no, I really don't feel like, you know, sitting in a theater with a bunch of people that know the music that I don't know so that they can all fucking hum and sing along and all that shit. Like, I remember when I went to go see... uh Les Mis in the theaters. Now, I had never seen the play Les Mis. It was one that was always on my my radar that I just never Mm. got to go see. It was also one that I never went and, like, sought out the soundtrack or anything like that. Because when I saw it, I wanted to finally, like, see everything and experience it that first time. Um, So when the, the, the most recent version of the film came out, you know, I got to the theater and I went to go see it. And I realized that I barely understood what the fuck was going on because I had bitches sniveling <laughs> left and right to you know, to me all over the place. Well okay, I apologize. There were men and women of various ages and strong all that women. stuff. All strong women, weak men, strong men, yes. weak women, they're all all the same.
1: It's all one one being.
2: <laughs> but you know, it was just, it was hard to, to, to really grasp what was going on. And it wasn't until that film actually came out on, like, digital and DVD that I was able to, like, finally, like, sit down and, and really watch it and really enjoy it and watch the performances and get to know the music and, and all of that. So I'm sorry for calling anybody bitches. Talking Terror just not <laughs> support bitches. Or
1: hoes. <laughs> 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 no bitches, no hoes in this show. Um, But I think Venom's going to be fun. I think that's what it is. At the end of the day, it's not going to blow anybody's minds. I think Venom is just going to be a fun popcorn movie. You go to see it in the theater, a lot of action, a lot of fun to be had. I don't think it's one of those movies you could go, wow, that was really intense. That's like, you know, quality caliber movies. No, I think it's just going to be fun. And I think that's what you need to go into it, seeing it as. A fun ride, and you get to see some cool effects, and that's what it is. I mean, saying that it's on the same caliber as Catwoman, the tally Berry, that's, that's low. I mean, because that movie was, it was wow. I mean, to me, I saw that movie when it came out, and it was garbage. I can't imagine Venom going along the same lines as that movie. What are you
0: talking about? Catwoman was an awesome movie. It's the most underrated comic book movie of all time. How can you say it's such not, a I thing? I hope Sorry, I, not. A, no, no, I,
2: no I, I just missed the doc. I'm just... All I'm saying is this, man. If they wanted to make the Catwoman film good. Now, I haven't seen it, to be honest with you. I avoided it, like the plague. Yeah. yeah, I'm um, well, yeah,
0: not missing anything. But <laughs> if
2: you were to tell me that there was at least a scene in that film of Holly Berry getting into a litter box, I would go see it in an instant.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it would have made for a better movie. She had. I mean, you
2: know. That's where they needed to go with it, you know. Sorry, Holly. <laughs> you're a
1: gift, gifted
2: actress and all that, but no,
1: no I'm good. Would've been better, but no, unfortunately, not. <laughs> unfortunately, it didn't happen that way. But yeah, it's a it's a movie that I think is going to be a lot of fun. I mean, I, I have no interest in seeing Star Is Born. I know Bradley Cooper directed it. He's starring it. I'm like, oh, good for you, you know, Brad. That's fine. <laughs> you know, but I I just have no interest. You care less, you know. It's not my speed. I'm not a big fan of musicals, so. But you that, are the you, big, know,
2: you are the biggest Gaga fan that I know. So.
1: You know you're full of shit. You're totally going to see it.
2: Oh sure, well, I
1: mean huge. I'm a huge Gaga fan because she calls her fans little monsters. That's so cute. <laughs> that's why I'm a huge fan of Lady Gaga. <laughs> but. But that's also what we were talking about the other week with the Golanite. and I with uh, the new Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie coming out, the fact that Bradley Cooper's production company is producing that movie. So where does he stand with Marvel as far as being in the Guardians movie? To me, I think that's just, hey, Todd Phillips is directing the Joker movie. I'll produce it. I'll put up some money, and that's fine. I don't think it has anything to do with him kind of going against Marvel. But, I mean, who knows when we're going to see a new Guardians movie after everything that's happened with uh, James Gunn. So more power than than Probably for, for doing those. You know, I, I have no idea when we're going to get a new Guardians movie. I mean, in two weeks, if you're a wrestling fan and you watch SmackDown Live, Batista is going to be on, on SmackDown, reuniting with Evolution. Randy Orton, Triple H, The Nature Boy, and Batista. we so are going to get Batista Woo! live on SmackDown in two weeks. Yep, in two weeks. <laughs>
0: Meanwhile this, Saturday, meanwhile, this Saturday at 5 a.m., you can catch the the Australian pay-per-view that will be going on on the WWE Network. If
2: you feel like getting up that early and watching storylines that will not affect the main storylines in any way, shape, or form, and there's no titles going on the line as far as any of the major ones go, so well, sure, in Oh, sorry. The women's title. Becky Lynch versus Charlotte Flair. And uh
1: and, and, and uh it is
2: Salvage Oh, uh, okay. All right, so but like the 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 real title, the real the real matches that people wanna see, which is, you know, unfortunately Roman Reigns and his universal title. You know, instead it's it's kinda like back when when we were kids. And the Survivor series came up and you know, Hogan wasn't putting the title on the line for Survivor series. <laughs> it was him with his team of five striving to survive. And you know, here we got we got Roman yeah. Reigns, and the Shield versus, you know, Braun Strowman and Ziggler and or Ziggler and fucking McIntyre. You know, six man tag in which Dean Ambrose is gonna totally turn and you know, because he's oh, getting jelly that he doesn't have a belt. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I called it weeks ago. I said there's going to be a heel turn for Ambrose eventually. Um, but yeah, like the the monkey had said, if you're a wrestling fan and you feel like watching a pay per view at five o'clock in the morning, have at it. WWE Network Superstar Showdown. I will not be participating. I will wait for it to go on demand, so I can watch the. No. Oh they'll no. be re- hey, no, yeah.
2: they'll just be replay. They'll be replaying it throughout the whole day.
1: What's well, the oh, like watch- can't, can't it on demand?
2: Well, not even no, on demand. They'll good. just keep airing it live. <laughs>
1: Again and again no, and again, the, like
2: you know. No, that, the replay or the whatever. That's the cool thing
0: about the. That's the cool thing about the network, though, is once a pay-per-view has finished, it goes into their catalog, and then you can watch it from beginning to finish whenever you feel like it.
1: Gotcha, yeah. very good. Yeah. 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 No, that yeah. I mean,
0: that's
2: <laughs> Uh, Yeah, the the funny thing is, again, like I keep the WWE Network subscription like going only because for the pay-per-views, you know, Sammy loves it, she ends up watching all kinds of stuff on there and everything, but for like my own personal usage, it's so rare that I flip to it for anything, so it's like, you know, those rare times that I end up going to it, I end up on it for like, three or four hours, because I'm like, ooh, <laughs> look at this, oh, look at that. Then I'll say, that when I watch porn. It's like, I'll start this, and then I'm like, oh, you know what, though, this match reminds me of this, so I'm going to go watch that instead, and then I go to this pay-per-view, and then I'm like, ooh, look, WCW, oh, ECW, oh, this, oh, that, blah, 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 blah. And like I said, four or five hours go by, and I haven't watched anything. And it's like, <laughs> some,
0: you know,
1: some old, I'm them, sitting here with a hard oh, on, I oh, still oh. have
2: to bust my nut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. That that's I'm the same way with it where I'll watch it like they have the Macho Man collection, like all the classic Macho Man moments, so I watch that. Then I go over to the Roddy Piper collection and watch a little bit of that. I have a Becky Lynch collection, so I was watching that. Then I watched Bad Blood from ninety seven. The old pay per views and the rock bottom pay per view from ninety nine. I'm like, Oh man, I'm all over the place mm-hmm. with this fucking network. I just I gotta watch it all. <laughs> because they have so much good content.
2: That's only you know, nine ninety nine a month, month, folks. Nine ninety
1: nine a month. It. Or you could do what the monkey and I do. You buy the card at Walmart. You get three months for thirty bucks. So you just shell out the thirty bucks. You get that card. You sign up. That way you don't have look, to motherfuckers. Go month month. You guys,
2: you guys pay three cents more a month uh, for your months than I do. That's okay. Hey, <laughs> <everyone
1: needs money. laughs> but uh, the one thing I wanted to close out with with, with the horror news segment is uh, Richard Dreyfuss uh, actually said recently that he would like to see a restored version of Jaws using a CGI shark. Instead of using uh, what they no. used in the original version, he wants to see a CGI version where they can make better effects for the shark. Um, he thinks mm, that it would yes, be fun, no. and people would go to the theater and see it. So that's why I wanted to get your guys' aspect on that, because I'm against it. I think what they had already was good. Don't really think you need to add CGI elements. Um, no. Plain and simple, as easy as that goes,
2: Richard Dreyfuss, I respect you as an actor. Um, I've enjoyed plenty of film with you in it, but shut the fuck up, get in other movies, do whatever it is that you want to do, don't touch a fucking classic film like that, I mean, sure, why don't we go back, retouch up fucking Gone with the Wind, and put some CGI plantations in there, um, while we're at it, you know, why don't we go and, and restore Dracula? from the 1930s and CGI fucking all kinds of shit into that too I mean come on man there's certain things you just leave them the fuck alone the the, the Meg just came out do we really need CGI fucking Jaws
1: no no and I can't see what what it would add and I think like we had talked about the fact that you don't see the shark as much as you do is what adds to the suspense and what adds to the terror of that movie I think adding a CGI shark yeah I guess if you want to see more of it you know that's fine but I think less is more, especially with that movie. Um, yeah, Monkey, where do you stand with that? Are you with Dreyfus or against him? Oh, come on. You know where the fuck I am. Man, because this is
0: all like... Everything that the ghoul just said was like when I got pissed off when they went in and went back with CGI and did the original Star Wars trilogy. I was so fucking pissed when they went back and did that shit. And I'm the same way where it's when you have a classic film, leave it the fuck alone. If you want to restore it, so restore the the actual film and the actual content so that the film is preserved, by all means, yes. But don't try and alter any content of the film. Unless you happen to find some shit that was lost in a vault of extra scenes or something like that, that's it. Other than that, leave the fuck alone.
2: <laughs> and even that, what can they really add into Jaws that's going to add right. to what's an already great story and if you you start putting in, if the idea is to put the CGI in for the shark, then you're kind of changing the suspense aspect of that film, and you're making it, you know, into more of like a Deep Blue Sea where you saw the sharks all the time. Um, yeah, you know, Jaws works the way it works for that very reason. It is just as much a suspense film at times as it is, you know, a, a slasher slash horror film. It's uh, listen, man. Like I said, I think he only wants to do it so that you know he can get more pay for when they. Because if they do all that re-release, they do all that digital touch-up, they're gonna put it back in the theaters again, which means he's gonna get bank again, you know. Because I'm sure by this point he can he can fucking amass it because most everybody else in that fucking film series is dead anyway. As far as the Star Wars thing goes, I agree with you to a certain extent. I think certain things that when they went back to do the special editions were cool. How they, you know, they touched up the the fuzz underneath the speeders. You know, little things like that. I think when he started adding in CGI creatures left and right and that kind of shit, like Boba Fett in the scene where you fucking see him in the background yeah. now where he originally wasn't there, mugging at the camera, like that kind of shit. No, that that was unneeded stuff. But when they're touching up the special effects to, to make them appear more seamless, you know, instead of it just being some Vaseline rubbed on the film to give you the blur effect that you saw underneath the speeder, and instead it now looks like a flying vehicle, I thought that kind of stuff was cool.
0: Yeah, uh, no, I agree with you, We're using it to clean up the film was fine, but it, yeah, but then going and then adding complete new scenes, complete new characters, you know, that's, that's
2: where I was really pissed off about the whole situation. And look, motherfuckers, we all know Han shot first. Han shot only. Plain and simple, man. Yeah, no, it's as easy as
1: that, dude. It's as easy as yeah. that. <laughs> well, you know, to go from killer sharks to killers killing co we do have a movie to talk about tonight from 1984. Tra- uh, oh. oh. <laughs> I, I was going to say, did any
2: of you guys watch the, uh, the possum trailer?
0: No. I have no idea what you're talking
2: about, man. Sorry, yeah, I don't even know what that yeah, is. Neither, neither did I. I'm just I'm just trying to read shit just to, to avoid talking about the initiation. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, and, uh, aside from all that, though, no, the one other thing I did want to say is is that I saw that uh, I guess Amazon Prime has actually got the X-rated cut of RoboCop on it. Um, so if you have Amazon Prime, check that shit out
1: while it's still available, man. Yeah, 17 seconds about? worth of X-rated action. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So. If you're interested in 17 seconds, X-rated version. That's what? 17? And, and in a film, R- when you're
2: dealing with gore, effects, gore 17 seconds can be a big amount.
1: It's the only scene that happens where, where I got an X rating was Ed 209 killing the one guy in the OCP boardroom. And they added the extra 17 seconds of Gore, which... Okay, that's fine, but it's like they're making this big announcement, like, oh, it's X-rated. Like, you have to see this version. No, you really don't. Shit. It's fine. It's Robocop it. <laughs> But the scene as it stands is pretty gory as it was, so an extra 17 seconds, it's like, all right, well, that's fine. But it's not a, you know, to me it wasn't a big deal, but I know a lot of people are like, holy oh, Robo- shit, guys, X-rated, it's Robo-
2: Robocop.
0: Robocop, bang him. it.
2: He, watch watch, watch Robocop bag Nancy <laughs> Allen with his robo dick. Oh,
0: that's he, he's, got another, he, he's got another holster in his other thigh, and it's a different kind of gun. Oh. <laughs> the <laughs> so
2: love
1: gun. Thank you, kid. <laughs> so, Nancy Allen so or Nancy Loomis? That was the character name Allen. again? I can't even remember. Nancy Allen. Okay. No, I don't remember the character name, but I know it's Nancy Allen and, and her actress name. Nancy Loomis was, was a Amy in Halloween. Yeah, I was going to say, okay. yeah. The... <laughs> so there you go. Just to clear that up, folks. I oh, thought uh, yeah, Nancy so... Loomis was the chicken psycho. Okay. <clears throat> My bad. That No, that was... why. We... Well, we're going to talk about her because <laughs> she's going to need to talk about that. <laughs> so going from Lila, you know Lila Crane, Lila Loomis and Psycho Two, the Vera Miles starring oh, in the initiation from four It was Ann Lewis, Lewis,
2: Officer Anne. Oh, Lewis her part,
1: Ann Lewis. Sorry.
2: Okay. Right.
1: Yeah, I can <laughs> you go. that. Of that but,
2: yeah, Vera, so, Vera Wang was in the initiation, wasn't she?
1: That's right. It was. It was. She changed her name to Vera Wang just for this movie. <laughs> Yeah, and, and we'll talk about it because there's a lot to be said about Vera Miles and her performance in the initiation.
0: Beer Wang. It.
1: Said, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, it sounds like a, a drag queen's name.
2: <laughs> well, no,
1: she's an actual designer. Beer Wang. It's a real person. Hmm. So, not a fake one. Sorry, monkey. It's an actual person. Beer Wang. Get used to it. Yeah, strong. The
2: ghoul. Only, the ghoul only talks about real people.
1: <laughs> but to get this back on track, The Initiation, 1984, directed by Larry Stewart, originally directed by Peter Chase. I'll get into that. Uh, the basic premise of the film is that Kelly Fairchild's sorority sisters are having a special initiation in store for her and her fellow pledges, which involves a late night break in of her father's department store. But what begins as a harmless college prank turns sour when once inside the mall, the group find themselves locked in the night along with a deadly slasher. Um, <laughs> exactly. I picked this movie because last week we talked about Ah zombies, Uh, you know, and I felt like there wasn't a lot to talk about with that movie. I felt like it was just kind of silly and just way too silly for us. So I kind of want to have a palate cleanser back
2: in the 80s.
1: (laughs) I have a palate cleanser to talk about something from the 80s. Uh, The Initiation came out in 84, right before Nightmare on Elm Street came out in 1984. And this is the time when slashers were kind of on the dry side, just like we saw in the 90s right before Scream came out. Uh, that was kind of like in the 80s with the initiation. The slashers kind of had their moment. People were getting bored. It was just kind of the same thing over and over again. So the initiation comes out at the dying end in 1984, the slasher genre. And I, I had fun with it the first time I watched it, uh, way back when. I think it was like 98, 99, the uh, first time I watched it. You know, it. Uh, you know I, had, I had seen Spaceballs, so I knew who Daphne Zuniga was. So I was like, all right, cool. I would seen Return of the Living Dead, so I knew who Cool Guler was. Vera Miles from Psycho, you know, I can't name any other movie aside from Psycho and Psycho 2 that she was in other than the initiation. So that's how far I go with Vera Miles. But it was still, to me, a fun movie. I loved sorority flasher movies back in the 80s because it's such a time capsule of that era with, you know, sorority girls and frat guys just drinking, having a good time, you know, with their weird fashions and and parties for no reason. So I had fun with it, and I'm hoping – you guys did too, I'm sure you didn't I'm sure this didn't land, but We'll get there, so Ghoul, what did you think about The initiation?
2: I mean, you know, like You kind of said, man there is that, that That lull that occurs And, you know, you had Friday the 13th And the slew Of slasher films That followed it And, yeah, as this one Came in on the tail end, it came in just As the next big slasher series was going to kick off. So any chances that this film had of, of being big, had it, you know, had a more structured story and better acting, um, were completely dwarfed by the fact that Nightmare on Elm Street came out. And that was fantastic. Um, so yeah, I mean, going with this film though, it's, you know, it's a, it's a typical rote slasher with, I don't know, you know the the kind of ending that, uh, it, 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 yeah, it's it's the initiation. <laughs>
1: That's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. rope, good word though. Word of the night. Like that. You know, putting new words in the vocabulary. Of talking to. <laughs> I've used it before. I I've well, got a very know. very
2: large vocabulary that I typically <laughs> limit to like fuck piss shit and 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 stuff that I can't say on the air. <laughs>
1: yeah, there's a lot, but you know, uh, nevertheless. All right, so monkey, what did you think about the initiation? <laughs> um,
0: th- th- this was my first time seeing
1: the initiation.
0: This was also my first time seeing a sorority slasher film. Ah, uh, so you know, like the king said last night. This was a, was my initiation to the initiation. That's uh,
1: right. I thought it was, I
0: thought it was a really good pick, just because I thought it had a little bit of everything in this movie for all of us in the group. it's like It had the 80s frat humor for the doc. We had a little bit of TNA for the ghoul so he could you know beat off for a minute or three hours. <laughs> we had some gi- Giallo-inspired stuff for the king, and we had some really fun practical effects for me. I thought it was a good overall pick for the group. As far as how I felt about the movie, I had fun with it. I, I really did. Uh, it was you know, I, again, this was my first time watching a sorority slasher. I don't have anything to compare it to, but yeah, it's like it was a little slow at the beginning. It, it took some time to get up steam, but I thought once it got, you know, picked up steam and established its speed, it kept a nice pace throughout the rest of the movie. I didn't feel like there were a lot of lulls in it, and it just kept a, a good pace throughout the film, and yeah, it's good,
1: fun, 80s slasher. Mm-hmm. Um And and what I liked about the movie is that it starts off with like a dream sequence, um, which is nothing new if you've watched slasher movies of the 80s. A number of them started with dream sequences, most notably The Boogeyman from 81. Uh, There was also uh, another movie that started with Christmas Evil that started with a dream sequence. So this one, you know, was kind of following that path. But it was different because you get to see a lot more of Vera Miles and Krugulger than I ever wanted to see. Like, I don't need to like old people <laughs> sex. And that's what you get with her just having an orgasm as Clue Goulders just pounds away. I'm like, all right, Clue, you go for it. <laughs> you know, just doing his job. He, mm-hmm. he was having fun. <laughs> but it was bizarre oh, because jeep. all of a sudden the little girl who sees that stabs Clue in the foot and in the thigh. Then all of a sudden a guy shows up. He starts fighting with Clue, and he gets set on fire. And then all oh. of a sudden smash cut to Daphne Ziga waking up. So, Yeah.
0: But, like, but, but I want to know was, what you
1: guys thought about this start, you know, of the, of the
0: movie. Okay, I'm, okay, I'm jumping in real quick just because I was excited because right off the bat we get a full body burn, so I was so I, I, I was excited like right, <laughs> so I was excited right off the bat. Like it was a, you know, it was t- done in two sh- two takes, but it was, but both of them were nice long burns, and I just appreciated it. All right,
2: <laughs> no, cool. What did what do you, do think? you think? <laughs> No I mean I thought you know As as far as it being a dream sequence goes I uh It it was a solid start Um technically As far as like the actual You know it's impact on the Story again there were no Surprises here you know what I mean Like I knew right from the bat That you know Obviously the the guy in the bed With the mother wasn't the father And you know like I, I don't know you know it's maybe i'm just jaded because of all the horror movies that i've seen no. and uh, you know maybe if this was 1984 when this came out and i saw it it would have thrown me but the fact that it's not you know, it kind of just, uh, just kind of made me like just sit there and wait, knowing that, you know, eventually we were going to see this guy come back and, oh, look, there's the guy in the, uh, the mental asylum and he's got burns on his face. That's bad. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know. So it was really just more interesting in finding out, you know, what the deal was with Zuniga, I guess, you know, cause I, I was waiting for, I think a little more depth at certain points than, than we get, um, and that's only because I know, you know, I know Zuniga from, obviously, just like you, Spaceballs, um, you know, a number of other films that, that I'd seen her in, you know, like I had said last week, there's The Short Thing, um, Staying Together was a film with Sean Astin that, that came out, I want to say, in like the late 80s, early 90s, um, not the, I don't want to say The Quest, but that's a Jean-Claude uh, Van Damme movie, Vision Quest, yeah, I think yeah, it was, with Matthew Modine. Oh, The Wrestling. Uh, the, the wrestling movie, and she's in that. Um, you know, Daphne Zuniga is one of those. Uh, she's one of those odd-looking actresses who, yes, like, uh, I kinda like, I kind of like. I liken her to the girl that played Sookie in whatever uh, that fucking Anna vampire Paquin, HBO that. shit was. Yes, Anna Paquin, um, oh, Rogue from the X Men films. Where it's like, you know, yeah. I look at her face. And it's like, okay, I like her eyes. I like, I like where her face is, like, structured. I think Zuniga's pretty. And then I see her mouth, and there's something about her mouth <laughs> that I don't find attractive. And it kind of, like, ruins the rest of the face. And, like, I see that especially with Paquin. But Zuniga, it's like, I don't know, there's certain times where I'm looking at her like, ew. And other times, I'm like, wow, <laughs> she's kind of pretty. She, yeah. she always um, has this look on her face like she's sm- just
0: smelled
1: a fart. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but I like that I like bitchy
2: look. You know what I mean? It turns
1: me on. <laughs> and it's like I was talking about with the monkey last night. Um, in the movie, they say, you know, introducing Daphne Zuniga for this movie, and it's only because this is her starring role film. She had been a bit part in a movie that came out two years prior called Pranks, a.k.a. The Dormitory Blood, which is another sorority fraternity slasher movie where she played Debbie, Her total screen time was maybe five minutes throughout the entire film, and she gets killed. But the initiation was kind of like her starring vehicle, where it's like, I'm here, and I'm ready to make movies. Um, I'd actually confused her back in the day, and I think I even did it watching it now, with Justine Bateman from Family Ties. Where I'm like, they're very similar in features, you know, kind of a weird, kind of cute, but yet kind of masculine features. And it turns out that Daphne Zuniga was actually on a couple episodes of Family Ties.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> all right, you know that's yeah, that surprising.
2: I can see where that that mistake gets made. You uh, know, definitely uh, there are similar similar features. Absolutely,
1: I, but I I'm definitely sorry, agree just, with the ghoul. With uh, yeah, go yeah, ahead.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, I was just gonna say, just
0: Justine Bateman though, it always freaks me out though because her and Michael J. Fox did that movie Poison Ivy where they were at summer camp and made out together and ended up being brother and sister on a show a couple of years later, and it's just. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. Well was Poison Ivy before Family Ties or was it after Family it Ties? Was before. Okay. All right. So I must be thinking about another Poison Ivy movie. Um sure. I think I but, think Poison
2: Ivy. I think the one with Drew Barrymore. Yes, oh, that's yeah. the one I
1: think of. But um to to what the ghoul had said, I agree with him especially with the beginning opening sequence of The Dream, it's obvious that Clue Gulliger and Vera Miles are not a married couple having sex. It's actually, you know, one of those things where she's having an affair and the daughter catches them in the act, and then all of a sudden this guy runs in the room, so you can kind of tell it's the dad. I don't know if audiences were confused back in the day when they saw this movie of wondering who was who, you know, if this guy just showed up. And I was like, why would this guy just show up out of the blue and have a fight with Clue and get set on fire? It just didn't make any sense, so that's why I said it was kind of an obvious thing. That they were having an affair, but it played well into the nightmare sequence of, of wondering what was going to be pieced together. And that's why it's a recurring model in his film, this nightmare that leads to Kelly having this research paper with Peter Adams, who was uh, Reese Witherspoon's father and legally blonde. So there you go. Another uh, legally blonde reference from last week where we talked about the one character <laughs> being her boyfriend, legally blonde. So <laughs> we have another, I, mean, I can't blonde even, reference.
2: I can't even really see- See, like the the dream secret, sequ- like it's such a soap opera type of plot, oh, yeah. yep. you know. Like I would think that at this Sorry point enough. audiences would would know that. But then again, I mean, if you're talking about the the age range of the people you're targeting this movie to, which would have been, you know, teens. You know, young twenty somethings, they might not be as entrenched in, uh, you know, General Hospital and where the day takes you, or whatever the fucking names of the soap operas are that I never watched. So.
1: <laughs> but it also leads to the other thing I wanted to talk about is that you have Japanese uh, Unigas character Kelly waking up from the nightmare, and she's surrounded by all these sorority sisters, and you find out that she's a part of a pledge with her with her friends uh, Marsha and Beth and Allison. Marsha, Marsha,
2: Marsha.
1: The one character I <laughs> that's, loved that's what was, I thought too, was, man. Uh, the second
2: I saw that, I was yeah. like, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha.
1: <laughs> the <laughs> one character I really did like was Megan, because Megan was clearly in her forties, trying to play a college student. This is what I love about eighty slashers; they just didn't give a fuck. They were just like, "Hey, listen, you cast for the part, that's cool. You look way older than you're supposed to be. We're going to put you in this movie." I was like, Megan definitely has kids and a husband waiting for her to get home. Like that is not a college student by any means, <laughs> but you just go with it because it's in the movie. But it just it as I'm seeing me, Megan on screen.
2: I thought Megan was the actress that was in the. Uh, she was Mother Firefly in the first.
1: Uh, oh, Karen Black
2: uh, House. Of, yes, yes, in House of Forces.
1: <laughs> yes, she does look like Karen Black a lot. Yeah, but even like I said, it's just it was one of those things that had me laughing. I'm like, okay, Megan's supposed to be a sorority trainer. How long have you been in college, Megan? Like 16 <laughs> years? Are so you on that long-term plan? Just never want to leave? But, yeah, it's just, it just—it was one of those things. It was typical of the 80s movies. And even now, you know, a lot of the times when they catch people that are definitely older than they're supposed to be, and you're like, okay, that guy's definitely not a 16-year-old. It's like he's in his 30s. But you go with it for the narrative of the story. But it's just one of those things that kind of made me laugh and enjoy that a little bit. Um, But Kelly's pledging to Delta Rokai never die because that's what she wants to do. Um, I like the fact that there's a little bit of that, you know, well, you're rich and that's why you're a bitch. Oh, come on. (laughs) That is not. So hold on.
2: I got to, I got to make this plot deeper for monkey here. So yet another action gets thrown into this mix in the movie Poison Ivy, it's not Justine Bateman, Michael J. Fox's sister. It's Nancy McKeon, who was in uh of oh, Life* crap. as crap. Joe. You're, oh, 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 oh! I'm wow. sorry,
0: my mistake. My mistake. Sorry, go.
2: No, no. listen, okay. to well, you, there, you yeah. Bring up like, like you know, television-style incest, and I got to look it up. You know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do on the
1: show. <laughs> but. Uh, uh plot-wise, yeah, we're dealing with Kelly and her friends pledging to the sorority. Uh, because Kelly comes from, you know, the riches, as they say, because she's so rich, uh, her dad owns the Fairchild Building, which is a gigantic department store. And the pledge, the prank Look. for the week is going to be stealing night <laughs> watchman's clothes. Uh, Everything, you know, the shirt, the pants, we're going to get sexy girls. And they're like, ooh, laughing, you know, but kind of a silly prank. Um, but you know, the fact that they were so hard on Kelly, I'm like, okay guys, like, you know, you're acting like you guys don't come for money either. I'm pretty sure all of them have pretty good money stances, you know, as far as being mm-hmm. in this uh, university, but for some reason they're just so down on Kelly. So you have to transition to Kelly driving home to the big ass house with the last I mean, beer miles drinking the entire time and cool. You're just fucking eating the scenery in this movie. He's only in it for a short time, but he's just so good as Dwight Fairchild. Because when you see him, I just keep thinking of lines from Return of the Living Dead.
0: No, but this fucking compound, man, it looks like a fucking James Bond villain's house. It's like, because they come up, you know, there's just (laughs) horses running through the fucking yard and shit like that. You know, The big-ass fucking... I'm sorry, man.
2: Besides him eating the scenery, he should have been... I don't know. There should have been some kind of twist too, where it turns out that he was banging Kelly. You know, so just just to kind of add that no. little, little
1: stab into the whole thing, man. <laughs> it could have been good, but they had the twist anyway of him having an affair. as you find out he's he's still banging. Like this guy's still got his get his dick. Got to get the strange shit going. <laughs> So he's unhappy with, with uh, uh, Francis Fairchild, his wife, so he's got to get him on the side. Um, that's why I like that. Secret. Yeah, <laughs> my Francis. Yeah, that, um, yeah, you can't even yell out that name during sex
0: without feeling weird. Oh, Francis. Yeah,
1: it would be really weird.
2: Francis.
0: <laughs> Is he yelling at a guy or a girl? Because
2: <laughs> we spent all the money on Francis's toupee. I
1: don't, I ever, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm don't going to take you to the zoo. <laughs> but that's my whole point, though, with, with having Clue Gulliger play Dwight Fairchild and having Vera Miles play uh, Francis, is that you can tell that Clue is having a good time playing the character. He's only in there for a short time. But he's playing the character, kind of chewing up the senior a little bit when you see him. But you can tell that Vera Miles doesn't want to be in this fucking movie, like, at all. Like, there's just... No part in the movie at all where I'm like, yeah, she's acting and she's doing a good job. No, it seems like she just wants to get the fucking scene over with so she can go back and drink. (laughs) Why am I doing this fucking slasher movie? You know, I'm not getting paid enough to do this. (laughs) But but you brought up a good point when we were talking last night of why she was doing this movie. Well, it's because, uh, like I said at the start, Peter Chase, who's a British director, had signed on to do the movie. So when you see the beginning sequences of the sorority girls and there's a lot of close-ups and a lot of weird shots, that was all Peter Chase because he wanted to make a more artistic film than just a slasher film. And he was behind schedule, so they fired him and brought on Larry Stewart to kind of pick up where he left off. Vera Miles only wanted to do the movie because of Peter Chase because she respected him as a director. And then once she got the set one day, they're like, yeah, he's fired. Here's Larry. She's like, fuck. Guess I got to do this yeah. movie. You know, and it, it shows. In her like, well, she she was for that. also close
2: to the end of her career anyway. She only did two more oh, films yeah. after this. And then, you know, she had like little, little things in TV. I think she came up in like, you know, again, I'm wiki, of course. So it's, you know, it shows like, you know, like a television movie in 1985 and another television thing in 89. And then that was it for her. You know, she was done. She was an older actress and, you know, she has a, a lot of, you know, a lot of theater films throughout the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and then, you know, she kind of just, uh, she was at the end of a rope at this point. You know, she had just come off a of psycho, too, and, you know, here she is in, you know, a film that I'm sure she considered beneath her. You know, there really was, you know, what are you? What's 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 my motivation? What's my character? Oh, you're just the uh, the drunk mother that, you know, is harboring
1: a deep secret.
2: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: bro. I'm just going to hate on my daughter the entire time. Every single time she wants to do something, I'm going to be like, that's bullshit. You're not going to do that. Like when they're at the dinner table and they're talking about uh, her working with Peter Chase, you know, uh, talking about working with the doctor, uh, Peter. And she's like, no, he, he, he's, a, he's a, going to be something. And she's like, no, he just wants your body. Like, you know, everything that she says constantly, Vera Miles, is just like shooting her down. No, that's not good. Oh. I don't like this at all.
2: Uh, you got to figure too that that comes from her own experience, you know. I mean, look, Lou Gallagher, you know, is busy fucking. You know, he's banging her in the beginning as they're having an affair, and then yeah, he did, he did somewhat right by her by marrying her after you know her her husband's demise or you know commitment to a to a fucking mental institution, but. You know, at the same time, too, he's still banging, and I doubt that's the first one. And I, it's, not, it's not a matter of her not knowing. I think it's just a matter of her enjoying a rich lifestyle and just
1: doing whatever, you know.
2: I feel yeah, like she treats thinking them all a, similar yeah. to how, like, Betsy Palmer ended up feeling about fucking Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm.
1: You know? Oh, completely. And, you know, and speaking of institutions, I mean, that was the one thing, too, is that they threw in there uh, with uh, Dwight getting the call about somebody, you know, escaping. You know, from the hospital. And that's what I kind of liked about this movie is that they inserted the whole fireside cemetery sequence where you have this nurse ratchet type character from One Floor to Cuckoo's Nest, like the monkey. Oh, oh I liked
0: her. She was
1: fun. Yeah. yeah. Just really just bitching at <laughs> all the patients and trying to take away all their fucking freedom. <laughs> Ye- yelling have at the middle patient. a gardener out there. <laughs> yeah. And you set it up so you have this gardener outside with a gardening tool. Just, you know, pounding in the dirt. Then you see another person by the window pounding their fists against their thigh. You know, everything's just fucking going on at once. So it's kind of setting it up that this could be our killer. This could be the burn victim that we saw at the beginning of the movie. We don't know who he is yet, but we know that he's probably going to be the killer. So I thought it was kind of a good placement for a, a red herring, possibly, of who could be the killer. It was kind of a who done it sequence. Um, what did you uh, think of that whole sanitarium sequence? Uh,
2: I enjoyed that to an extent, I guess. I mean, I, I definitely feel like they they drove home the irritation of the nurse, because I felt like throwing something through my television as those guys were banging <laughs> on the fucking, on the green. Yeah. It was driving me up the fucking wall, and I just wished it would have stopped. Mm. Um, I, but like you said, it was a red herring, and, you know... I don't know, I see the burn guy, I see him stabbing the thing into the thing, and everybody's freaking out, and they keep cutting him, stabbing into the dirt, and it's like, all right, it's too obvious. You know know it's not him, because it's too obvious.
1: It was a little too obvious, and that's why I, I like the sequence where they kind of get out. The patients get out of the institution. They're playing ring around the Rosie, having a good time, laughing, carrying on, and you have the nurse ratchet that character just trying to get to her car, and just trying to get the fuck out of this institution and go home, and just very much Halloween homage to me anyway. I don't know if you thought the same thing. Very yeah. much
2: Halloween. That's all I thought about during the whole, the whole entire sequence.
1: Yeah, it was. Just, it was so yeah. much like this is Halloween. This is our little homage or a little tribute to a great slasher, um, leading up to the nurse getting stabbed in the seat with the the gardening tool. And while you know, I said earlier that I, I, that I like the practical
0: effects in this movie, I did not at all, though, like the effects of our burn victim. He was just busy looking like an extra yeah. on the Flying Dutchman on Pirates of the Caribbean, looking like he, he had, you know, a bunch of seashells on his face instead of burns. Wh- whoever was doing that work fucking sucked. You know? and, <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the other effects that we see later in the movie are really fun. But when I say I liked the practical effects of the movie, I am not talking about this shot with him. No. But I did, but I did enjoy the whole institution scene for what it was. I, I personally had fun with it. I was laughing my ass off the entire time at, at our Nurse Ratched character. And had a great time with her demise in the parking lot. Yeah.
1: Just uh, like I mean, as far, as far as... Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. But no, I was just go with
2: the with the burn. I was just going to say, you know, I mean, obviously, you would think that judging how inflamed he was, that it would be worse. But you yes. oh, know, as somebody that I, I have quite a bad burn on my uh, my left leg from my my knee down to my ankle from a, a mishap in middle school. Um, you know, I thought like the the look of the burns. Were realistic. Um, you know, I know people see, like, you know, Freddy Krueger, that kind of thing, and it's like all kinds of like mm-hmm. horrific stuff. Obviously, this guy's damage would be way more extensive than what they showed, but for, you know, for being burned scarring, it looked like actual scar tissue, which was, you know, I don't know, I guess different, but. Whatever. I mean, he, he, judging from the amount of fire he was fucking consumed in, the guy should have looked like <laughs> yeah. fucking, you know, Freddy Krueger in the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that's what I was talking about with Monkey last night with that effect of, of, the, of the burn, you know, victim effect, is that it reminded me a lot of uh, Donald Pleasence in Halloween 4 when they gave him the little burn scar on his cheek, even though how the mm-hmm. hell are you going to have just a little burn on your face because you were in a fucking exploded room? But for some reason, you just get away with a little scar on your fucking cheek. That's the way it looked. It looked horrible in the light. And that was the problem with that effect, is that they showed it too much in natural light. So you could kind of see the spirit gum. You could see the effects of how they created the burn. Um, It looked better at night. It looked better when it was just covered by darkness. I think that's when it was most effective, because you don't have to see the damage. When you couldn't see it. (laughs) Exactly, Yeah. Uh, When you don't see it as much, you know, at night, I think it just works better. Um, And, of course, in this movie, we also have a character named Andy. I've had women like that. of course, I'm in it. (laughs) We have uh, Andy, the the very waspy type character. I was like, all right, his name is Andy. He's going to die at some point. So, of course, I get one character in this movie named after me. He's going to die. Just because of how obnoxious he is. Uh, We get to see how obnoxious he is later on in the movie. But, it was one of those 80s type of stereotypes. You know, he's going to go play tennis on the weekends, you know. He could have any girl he wants, but he's really after Kelly, who really you know, just wants Peter Adams, the sophisticated, uh, you know, teacher that knows all about dreams and how they work. He's not a teacher. He's not a teacher. He's a student. So he's a, I kept thinking he was a teacher because he's great. No, teachers.
0: He's a student because he's, he's doing a paper as well. He's
1: a, he's a teacher assistant. Okay, so that's why he's great. So he has an assistant of an assistant because who is Heidi then? Because Heidi is his assistant. So he's an assistant who has an assistant.
0: <laughs> he, Heidi is his assistant on the on the Dream Factory, but he is a. a, a, <laughs> he's, a, grad, a. he's a grad.
2: He's a He's a grad student. He's a graduate assistant. Okay, that's what he is. Yeah. So, so yes, he's uh, you know, he's just going for his his next degree and. Well, that that fun shit, and yeah, the, I uh, just assumed he was a monster, king, you know, just even. the monster Heidi that was with him. Was, you know, that chick needs a fucking horror movie all her own.
1: That was Barb from Stranger Things. I'm sorry, that's the only thing I kept thinking about with Stranger Things. I was like, that's just too <laughs> mm-hmm. You know. Same glass. No, which Barb,
2: style, is, same which Barb is a representation of the eighties anyway, so that's uh, <laughs> that that works, you
0: know. No, and until and Kelly showed up in the Dream Factory, you know Barb was doing some shit for our our our
1: boy there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's it's the whole thing too. And and that's why I kinda like this movie uh too, because the whole thing that Kelly has is this whole thing of a paper written about dreams. And that's what her paper's gonna be on, and that's why she works with Peter. So you talk about the same movie that came out that year, Nightmare on Elm Street, that deals with dreams, and we're dealing with dreams and nightmares in this movie. So it's kind of a cool little thing that you have a back and forth with, where it's like, in this movie, we're dealing with dreams and nightmares, and then you get a Nightmare on Elm Street, dealing with a dream killer. So it's kind of a cool kind of aside, the fact that that was what her paper was going to be on. Even though Francis was totally against it, I have a secret to hide. Stop writing papers about this shit. Like, come on, like, you know. You can write about anything you want. Why are you going to make it about dreams? And see, (laughs) like, where I thought they were going to end up
2: is is on dreams. But where I thought they were going to go with this was that, you know, Kelly, the dream obviously was a real event. That, you know, that much you knew. (laughs) I knew it from the beginning of the film. But when she was going on about the amnesia, not remembering her life prior to it,
1: I was figuring they were going to
2: be going into the. Avenue of she had already been hypnotized, and that's why they didn't want her seeing any psychiatrists, that's why she, they didn't want her seeing any other doctors or anything like that because they would be afraid that somebody else could undo what was done and reveal what their big secret was. Like, they never explained right. uh, the real story behind the amnesia.
1: No, only thing that Kelly says is that she fell from a treehouse, and even Peter Adams is like. Uh, really, that's so cliche. You fell from a treehouse, and that's how you lost your memory. And she's like, "Well, that's what they told me. That's what I'm going with." It's, <laughs> I get, and she, once the they, she said, control.
2: "That's what they told me," it was like, "Okay, that doesn't make any sense." They needed to, to at least have some explanation behind that amnesia, because that's you know what yeah. I mean the way that's said, the way that's set up, it's it's set up to not be true.
1: No, it's it's not. Um, But with this paper being written and Francis being against it, we have the scene of them at home, Francis, Dwight, and Kelly having dinner together. Dwight's just preoccupied with going on a trip. You know, he's got some business to deal with, but we really know he just wants to dip into some strange. You know, he wants to have an affair on top of the affair he already had. Um, I liked his death sequence. I thought it was kind of fun uh, with him packing his bags into his car and then getting stabbed with the uh gardening tool, not only that, but getting beheaded. Uh, I thought it was a great practical effect. I know the monkey loves them, but I just thought it was great the way it played out because the blood pumping was just so good. It wasn't over the top, it wasn't silly. You know, it it worked. Yeah, whoever was doing the blood pumps on this film
0: like did a great job. Like not not too much, not too little, just nice controlled even pumps and it just
2: looked
1: nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the
2: it's all about the controlled even pumps, dude.
1: Don't let, <laughs> yeah, don't let anybody
2: ever tell you otherwise. It's all about an even but,
1: squeeze. You know, and I wanted to get the ghoul's perspective on this. You see him get stabbed with the gardening tool into his neck, and then you see in shadow him bent over. The killer has a machete, and it brings it down, and then they cut away, so you don't see the decapitation. I would have liked to have seen the decapitation. Just no. kind of add the, I, the gore. I thought it would have been good. You know me.
2: This kind of film, I mean, the plot is is thin, and I want gore. You know, I want some yeah. some real deal gore. I want to see, you know, a head coming off. That's what I want to see. As, as bad as it would look, you know, as fake as it would look, I want to at least see it.
1: <laughs> and I think that's where the monkey was coming from. I know you said that you, you didn't mind the fact that they didn't show the decapitation. No, just because, judging by, my again, my opinion of those
0: burns that we saw, I don't want them to see, try and create a whole head. Like, if Tom Savini has a hard time doing it, these fuckers that are doing this, they're great at the blood pumps and stuff like that, but no, no. Don't, don't try and ask them to sculpt a head. I think that's way above their pay grade. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, it, it would have been nice to see it, but they cut away because we have to go to the 80s dance party, which is another yes, one of my do. favorite sequences in the movie. Because it's like obligatory in 80s movies, especially college movie, you have to have some kind of party. So we have the hidden desires party, with everybody kind of dressing up as their hidden desire. You know, we got a big kind of dominatrix outfit, and you have Ralph dressing up like a gigantic cock, which I thought was hilarious. I mean, it's just uh-huh. so many fucking funny things happening, and the whole fucking band performance. Of um, course,
0: you got you got to have the band that's their hit that's, that's going to be what's going to make that band <laughs> yeah. it's going to be on
1: the soundtrack guys we're going to make it on MTV sooner or later um, having a Tom Selleck poster in the background I'm like man this is so fucking 80s <laughs> it's just hardcore um, do you think that the party scene needed to be in the movie do you think that was just filler because I thought it added an extra little bit of fun to the movie I don't think it was necessarily filler
0: no I mean, you gotta have those moments
2: Oh, go ahead, Gould. I was just going to say I mean if you're going to no, you're good, dude. I, I'm sorry. I was the one who was kind of just jumping right on top of that, man. I uh I just feel like if you're going to show the college atmosphere, you're going to show this whole sorority fraternity thing, you're going to build that up. You need to have a party, you know? I mean, you're talking about, you know, the era after Animal House. You're talking about Revenge of the Nerds came out the same year. Um you know no, a party a party is absolutely necessary. It, it builds mm-hmm. the world within these characters are, are, are living in.
1: I mean yeah. I was confused uh, by the green beer. I mean I'm still confused by it. Why they had that but, different colored beers. I don't know if the ghoul wanted to weigh in on that because I didn't get it. I know that the, the mucky had said, Oh, it was fun, they had just green beer and regular beer but it just I was like, Why? Like, you know, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> they uh, don't even bring I think it up. I
2: I don't think it was green beer. I think they had two different types of drinks. You see at one point the girl yeah. mixing them. Um I think that was probably part of like, you know, the, the atmosphere of the party. Maybe it was like a special concoction or something. Yeah. I think somebody even mentioned something to that effect. I, I don't remember the exact yeah. words for it though. Yeah, that's what yeah, I was like, trying to figure out too. Yeah. And on.
0: with the whole party thing, no, I was gonna say you have to have in a horror movie. You have to have those moments where you got to have that break, and you have to break the the tension that's going on. You you gotta you just can't have it of high intensity the entire time because you're gonna wear your audience out. You gotta have those moments because T and you know TNA and you know laughter, and drinking, and stuff like that go perfectly with slasher movies. You, you gotta have it in there. Mm.
1: Yeah, I mean, it didn't and feel need, like and you need always. to fill
2: the time. Yeah, <laughs> well,
1: to me it didn't feel like filler. It really didn't. Like, there's a lot of movies I've watched where I see scenes where I'm like, this is filler. Like it's not adding to anything. This is just like a fun sequence that they're having in there. You get a little bit more in depth with Marsha and Ralph, where he finds out that around campus she's a virgin. He's like, I could help you. I totally could. And she's like, you're an asshole. He's like, what? What did I say? Fuck like, you! Know, like, Come on, Ralph. Uh, you're telling her that you're gonna fuck her. You know, and that's your way of getting in with her. Yeah, that's a good way, Ralph. You're really smooth. Dressed up like a gigantic dick. Oh. <laughs> he was he telling was.
2: her that he could help her with her virgin problem. That's all. Yeah.
1: He was trying to be yeah. a good guy. Yeah, he was just mm-hmm. pu- public service man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the, the the you know the whole party sequence, and then they cut back. Uh, And they get back into the serious tone with the dreams and Kelly under hypnosis, reliving the dreams that she's been doing throughout the earlier scenes with Peter and his assistant. And that's when Francis shows up to the scene. She's like, holy fuck, what are you guys doing? And when he's trying to wake her up, she's like, he says, you know, Kelly Fairchild, you're going to wake up and you're going to be relaxed and fine. And she's not waking up and he goes, call her Randall. And all of a sudden she snaps out of it. And it's like the ghoul had said, very soap opera sequence. It's like, what? She's a Randall? Like, this is a whole new thing. Like, you know, what do you mean she's a Randall? What is that? Like, who is Randall? (laughs) Who is this girl? You know, know, and and they have their confrontation of her saying, I could have you arrested. He's like, really? You could? Because I don't really see the point because she signed off on this. But it was one of those no, kind of uh, information dump sequences where it's like, okay, she's a Randall, so what the fuck does that mean? So I don't know if you guys were digging that. I thought it was kind of a added element of, oh, we're going to go further into this story.
0: Yeah, but it just follows yeah. up everything that the ghoul said because at the beginning,
1: you know, the, the ghoul was
0: saying they pretty much dropped the ball with the opening sequence and this didn't really add anything. It's, you know, telling us shit we already knew.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. And again, her him using her given name to snap her out of hypnosis is just one of those things where again it should have been that she had been hypnotized previously and yeah. that was her whole you know her whole purpose for it that they knew that this was this was the code word that was used they needed the obligatory sequence that we see um Nancy's mother in Nightmare on Elm Street Where she finally oh, yeah. all drunkenly Sits down and goes over with Nancy Everything that occurred And we never get that You know we never get the, no. the Reveal of, of What actually happened why it happened That way and what they ended up doing to Cover things up and he looks like he might Have been
1: out We kind of do in a way I mean It's, it's a, a weird way that they do it. It's not like uh, Nancy's mother In Nightmare on Elm Street but you do have the scene with well, maybe Peter Heidi, where Heidi, where Heidi finds the, um, the newspaper articles about Jason Randall and how right. there was a confrontation where he got set on fire and then he got committed <laughs> to an institution. And that must have been her dad because they find out that the white Fairchild married Francis right after that in a really quick, brief ceremony. To just and kind that is the whole
2: Fairchild.
1: thing. Right. So you have like that information dump where it's like, okay, we're going to explain this real quick. Pay attention, guys. But, you know, you know,
2: and you know me though. The thing is, is I do love pause. And if you look at the newspaper, there's you know an area of it circled, and so I paused mm. the film so that I could read what this article actually said. <laughs> um, it does have certain parts of it that do seem to pertain towards character names, but it also discusses something about getting off of a plane. And a fire, and it it doesn't sound like the fire is at the house; it makes it sound like the fire is either on a plane or at the mall itself, mm-hmm. not. Yeah, it didn't make – like, you know, reading the article did not make sense. Like, you wouldn't have been – you would not have been able to read it. Like, some of the sentences weren't even together. It was like the print. When they tried to print the piece of paper, it, like, printed over itself. So it didn't, like, put the words together properly. So, (laughs) so, yeah. So that doesn't give you any extra fucking information either.
0: Right. But during – Oh sorry I was going to not- say also during I was just going to say also during this information dump is when we learned that Randall was like one of the big ass managers at our weird ass mall compound.
1: yeah our biggest mm-hmm. set piece of the movie that we're getting into which which is a great set piece for a movie um I like the fact that the night watchman Todd uh pretty much was Johnny Watt. like that was John Holmes you know, of the movie, with his shirt almost all the way buttoned down for some reason because he had to show his chest hair and his, you know, really nice quaff mustache walking through his the hall. You know, his, 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 his
2: little thin gay porn star fucking mustache. <laughs> yep.
1: yep. Drinking the beer where it was just the can labeled beer because they didn't have any licenses on beer. So just drinking a you, can Repo, of man. beer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's what I thought about watching this. Um, and just to
2: dial back up. on that information dump, I get what you're saying, whereas we did get an information dump similar to Nightmare, but the biggest difference there is is that information dump we get from from Nancy's mother,
1: it's right mm-hmm. from the
2: horse's mouth, whereas what oh, they're yeah. going by is circumstantial evidence and, rep- and, and papers and whatnot that, you know, they're kind of drawing their own conclusions here. And that's all I'm saying. I'm saying, you know, you have Vera Miles, you know, you have the the actress there this actress needed to to perform a little bit they have the scene where you know Peter goes to the house and that's right where it should happen she should at that point start explaining certain things and it just doesn't happen she sits there with a fucking dumb look on her face like she doesn't grasp anything that's going on whatsoever even though she found her fucking husband dead in the car already
1: Oh, yeah. Well, because she was, you know, like I had said, she's a louse, she's a drunk, and she's dead set and keeping this thing a secret. So she does not want to get any of these details going out. So, yeah, so it would have made sense if she had that one sequence with Peter when he goes to the house towards the end of the movie, where he's like, you gotta fucking tell me what happened. Tell me the truth. Right, that's and she's what like, I was, ah, fuck you. Yeah, that's what I was <laughs> expecting was
0: that's when we were going to get our information dump was when, you know, I was expecting her to have a moment and be like, you gotta sit down and, you know, understand what what has
1: been going
2: on. But we she just it just didn't
1: strike me as that type of character. Like, it just didn't strike me as that she would have that realization. I have to tell you the truth. Like, she was going to take that oh, fucking sh- ticket to her grave. <laughs> so, no, at that I'm point, though, there. you
2: have her so annihilatedly drunk that she's just spouting obnoxiously at the mouth. The character mm. could do it. You know, it, and it was needed. It really was. And this is where I wonder, because, again, I know what, like, the first portion of the film was done by the first director and then the second director came in and finished everything. I wonder if certain things were done or were originally meant to be done and then the second guy eliminated portions of it. You know, Whether it was for budgetary, whether it was just because he didn't feel like it fit thematically into what he wanted to do with the
1: movie. It's a good point to bring up. I know the writer said that there isn't much of a difference between Peter Chase and Larry Stewart. In terms of directing, you know, Peter Chase just had an artistic style for what he wanted to do. It wasn't necessarily about story, where Larry just kind of took over for what he had already filmed. So I'm not sure. That's a good question. Um, It's probably never going to be answered. But it would be interesting to see if Peter Chase had a different idea of how to film certain sequences. There was going to be an information dump with uh, Francis Fairchild and Peter uh, towards the end of the movie. But I like this set piece of the mall because it's so massive, it's so vast, it's so empty. And you just have these uh, group of girls running through and having a good time, you know, rollerblading, having fun. Um, The night watchman's already been stabbed to death by our killer that we still haven't completely seen, that we still don't completely know who it is. Um, I felt like it was kind of a cheat, though, because when you watch a sequence where the night watchman picks up the sunglasses, you could tell the killer has long hair wearing a blue shirt, wearing jeans. So you kind of see the killer for a brief second, you know, but you can tell that it's probably not going to be the burn victim because the burn victim is, is different looking than the killer uh, that we do end up having. Yeah. I mean, it's
2: a blink and a miss it, miss it moment. I mean, I didn't bother freezing the shot at this point, you know what I mean? So I was like, all right, I'll just let it go through. I really didn't notice the long hair. I just noticed that it was somebody wearing blue. Um, Yeah. The department store is a cool set piece. Um, You know, the the way they made it sound at the beginning was like, it sounded more like it was like a Sears or something like that. Um, I know that this building is actually a, uh, it's not a mall. It's, uh, but this is actually where John F. Kennedy was on his way to. When he
1: was assassinated,
2: yes, yes. Um, but that uh, it, this is like a, a warehouse type of deal where it doesn't sell to the public. It's a place that sells to like you know to to department stores it's essentially. A you go, you yes. it's exactly. It's a showcase. You go there, like well, let's say you are Sears or whatever, and they have all these these rooms set up so that you can say, oh, "Okay, you know what? Yeah, I would like to get this product and bring it to my store." Type of deal.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Yeah. So while they're trapped in this gigantic thing, like you said, it's a gigantic kind of warehouse deal, uh, but what I liked yeah, is it's like an office building. It did in a lot of ways. Just very, very kind of cool set piece, very dark. I liked how it just, it seemed like a character all on its own, this building, because it's dark, it's at night, it's kind of moody, it's kind of foreboding, but they're having fun either way. Um, Andy trying to get with Megan after she lets Andy, Chad, uh, and Ralph into the, the mall to scare all the girls. um. Andy, with the hatchet to the forehead, I liked the effect because the blood pump was good, like the, like the monkey had said. They were doing well with the blood pumps. It wasn't unrealistic. I couldn't see where the makeup was, so it was good. Um, the monkey says the it's effect. all about the pump. Oh, yeah. Go ahead,
0: Mike. No, I was going say, once we got into here, it's like I really enjoyed the whole set, like the whole 70s Office tower set, and we had the teenagers coming in here. And once we ha- we had all of our college kids in, I felt like things really started to pick up and it started to be a really fun movie
1: here Yeah, and I I like the one sequence of Allison, uh, the blonde girl, who walks into the one uh, the one store. Oh yeah, and just decides to take off her top because she's like, "Oh look, a nice ta- you know a nice tank top. I'm going to switch out. I'm not wearing a bra, so you can see my tits." And I'm oh, going to yeah. wear rollerblades and have fun. I was like, the girl is probably having fun <laughs> yeah, with this character oh, playing like rollerblades. Well, actually, really
2: you know, nice. yeah, you know, it was definitely fun. And I mean, obviously we glanced over earlier at the sorority when, you know, we were getting all kinds of uh, 80s style, oh, yeah. you know, we, we've got Bush, um, Bush and t- you know, <laughs> yeah. straight, straight up on natural front frontal nudity, man. I mean, it's, it's always a great thing to see in film. I like it. Um,
1: yeah. The one thing that bothered me, and I don't know if it bothered you guys, um, it's when they have the dinner the Outer Out of
2: labia, yeah, it's 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 weird. No. Well no. Uh,
1: it's where you have like the, the sequence with uh, Allison, Ralph, Chad, uh, Kelly. <laughs> they're sitting around the table and they're drinking wine and they're talking and they're just kinda you know, having fun, celebrating, being in the sorority. And then Marsha goes into this story. About explaining why she's not a virgin. Because that's the whole gossip around campus. She She says, I'm not, because when I was 12, my old violin teacher essentially raped me. And, yeah, it was really bad, and I'm sad, and I'm going to cry. So, Ralph's reaction is, hey, you know what will really solve your problems? Sex. Like, it just, to me, it bothered me, because I'm like, all right. I guess Ralph is just horny and just wants to get in because now he knows he can because she's not a virgin. But it's, it's still out of place in this movie to have this confession yeah. that she was raped when she was 12. It seemed too heavy for this movie. And I don't know what you guys thought. So, Ghoul, I don't know what you, got, what you thought about that. <laughs> to me, it just seemed too heavy of a story. I th-
2: Honestly, here's what I was thinking for that. And it, it wasn't that it was out of place. Was it a little darker than expected. Yes. But what I honestly think they were trying to do with the Marsha character, they were trying to play on a trope before it was really even called out. The virgin always lives. You know, so unless mm-hmm. the virgin has sex, you know, she is going to survive the night. And by making Marsha no longer a virgin even if it was by rape, she is now up for grabs to actually be killed. And, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think the the jokey character was, you know, was was being himself throughout the whole time. I think he showed that, you know, upon that being told that he – wasn't just jokes you know when he first sat down with her afterwards it was like you know he was having a, a tender moment with her and right. you know he was trying to be genuine at that point so I think I don't think it was it was anything horrible I think it was just you know it was a moment of darkness in you know obviously it's a horror film and you're supposed to have things like that in there but yeah it seemed a little a little bit darker than than necessary for this film go ahead Matthew Uh, I
0: think they could have totally redone this where instead of the whole thing about rape, just had a, instead just have written it of, you know, she was just really, you know, her and another guy were really, really young, you know, again, you know, 12, whatever. They didn't know what they were doing, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, that's why she's not a virgin, but she just doesn't like to talk about it because she was so young. But we didn't, just because, continue on with her story and where it's going to go, I think it would have blended better. Because again, I don't like the whole thing of you got someone that just drunkenly confessed that they were raped. That's a really hard thing to bring up and admit, you know, and to bring it up in front of your friends and then immediately go and you know hit on her. That's just not right, you know. It's like, (laughs) hey, I know you just made yourself vulnerable talking about, you know, you were taking sexually, but hey, you want to hook up? Like I, I think they just could have rewritten that little exposition a little bit better, then go to the hookup, and then go to her orgasm, which leads to an awesome, fun death, which we will get to in a minute. <laughs> Loved
2: it. Yeah. Um, she was drunk. She was horny. She, you know, I don't know. My experience has been, you know, chicks get sad, and then you know, all that that emotion tends to turn to uh, to sexual energy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. A, um, a lot of my luck, my, a lot of my luckiest moments came after after moments of sadness.
1: <laughs> but it, it, like the monkey had said, this is what works because we we get that whole sequence of the story. Then she ends up going to have sex with Ralph. Um, to me, this was like the most like Italian homage to Giallo mm-hmm. films in this entire movie. Is because while. Marsha's having sex with Ralph, you have Allison going back to the console where the night watchman would be, and she's confronted by the killer who proceeds to stab her violently over and over again. You get some nice blood splatter on the desk, you get her reaching for the microphone to kind of yell for people to give her help, and meanwhile, Marsha's orgasming as her friend's dying. I'm like, this is great, like this is a perfect kind of back and forth. You have one person orgasming and another person dying. To get the
2: dude dude killed in the bathroom, she finds his body, you know, after she also finds the uh, the night watchman's body, so she's in a panic, which is great, because she's in like total panic mode, she's freaking out, she's freaking out, she runs into Kelly, and then the next time we see her, she's walking towards the the security kiosk, and she doesn't look bothered whatsoever, she seems like she's (laughs) completely calm, she's totally normal when she gets murdered.
1: Right. But there was that great moment though of effects where she's getting stabbed, but they had the foresight to kinda of put a blood pack in her mouth. So you could see that the blood's coming through her teeth and staining it red. I mean, it was it was just a really kinda of good effect for me. Like it wasn't just a couple of stabs and then she's dead. You no, know, they, they lingered on it for a while. To show that yeah, it blood coming through her mouth.
0: Yeah, they just covered everything in red Cairo. It was awesome. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um but yeah. You know, this is where it's getting spearheaded, where everything is going to be found out. So now, you know, Kelly is wondering where her friend is because she's terrified because of hearing the screams. Marsha and Ralph are finishing up their bang session, just kind of hanging back, and that's where we meet our end with Ralph getting stabbed with the the, uh, the spear gun. Um, but it was a great kind of homage to Friday the 13th Part 2 of them in bed and then the spear coming through and stabbing Ralph and missing Marsha. Um, it's kind of one of those frantic sequences where, you know, Marsha's freaking out. You have Kelly finding one of the bodies and her name is written on the mirror in blood. So it's kind of everything is coming to a head, you know, in this... Well, Megan was was also
2: killed in a Friday the 13th fashion. You know, the (laughs) the one arrow kill was very much right out of the first Friday the 13th, you know, so I I feel like they're they're playing on stuff that, you know, we've seen before.
1: Yeah, and Marsha... Um, when she runs into Kelly and they're freaking out and they, oh. they escape the killer by running to the elevator, uh, when the Worst killer comes to, to the elevator, it really, I didn't like it. And I, I kind of want to side with you, go on it because Marsha gets dragged into the elevator. You don't see anything. You just hear her screams. In a way, it's effective because you don't see her die, but you know that she's fucked. But at the same time, I could have done with the death sequence. I would have liked to uh, see her die.
2: Once Marsha's in panic mode. From the moment Ralph mm-hmm. is killed oh, yeah. to the moment Marsha is finally fucking murdered herself, <laughs> that fucking mm-hmm. girl would not shut the fuck up. All she did nope. was fucking yell and she had an annoying yell. It was a bad fucking horror movie scream. It was so bad oh, yeah. that, again, mm-hmm. the, the cool girl and, and and little Sammy were in here in the living room um, where I broadcast out of I'm in the bedroom watching it, and I start getting messages, tell that fucking bitch to shut up. (laughs) Like, that's the kind of stuff that was coming across to me via text because it was just that irritating. I was happy when she was killed because it was just fucking done.
1: I just wanted to see it. That was my whole thing. I just wanted to see it. I know probably for audiences it was more effective, the fact that you don't see it but you hear her screams finally get cut off by the killer. Um, as Kelly runs away to the rooftop, where she encounters Jason Randall, her father. You know, as we find out, that's a biological father. You know, mm-hmm. walking like a fucking Romero mm-hmm. zombie on the rooftop. <laughs> Kelly, 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 like a fucking Romero zombie, chasing after her. What does she do? She throws his ass off the roof. I was like, yeah, All right. <laughs> you know, that's what you get. Don't fuck with Kelly Fairchild, bitch. It's <laughs> throwing my right the fucking roof <laughs> And, you know, just fist puffs in the air. Hell yeah. So if they're child bitches who want some, come get it. You know, and Peter well, then, rushing up, going into the mall. Like, this is the one thing I wanted to bring up to you guys because we're getting to the finale. You have Peter rushing into the mall. For some reason, he got in. I don't know how because the door was locked. So I don't understand. No, how he, he got the in, keys.
2: But... He got the keys from the mother, remember? He...
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I missed that detail that he got into the. the and, when, and when she goes, it's happening again. <laughs> yeah. But what bothered me is that I'm trying to see this from an audience perspective, seeing this for the first time. I've seen this movie so many times, I already know what's going to happen. But when he gets into the mall, he sees Kelly, essentially, uh, in a blue sweatshirt and blue jeans. Now, We know that Kelly's on the roof, and she's wearing a yellow blouse, and she's wearing a blue sweatshirt. There's no way she could have gotten back into the mall and ran downstairs and confronted Peter. So when he's hugging her, I'm like, okay, here's a twist, and we see it. And this girl, looks like Kelly, stabs him in the ribs and pulls back, and that's when Kelly runs in and goes, oh, shit, evil twin. I'm like, okay, Blood Rage, (laughs) calm down. which...
2: Plays into the mirror <laughs> thing Which we kind of also glanced yeah. over She has issues with mirrors um, But I liked yeah, I was, evil
1: Kelly though I Really did I mean that's my opinion I thought she was hotter as evil Kelly
2: For whatever reason um, <laughs> yeah. she, she Less makeup and, and all of that I just like the look Um, uh, and shit like that, that yeah, yeah, I uh, you know what, I was actually hoping they were going with more of, a, and again, this movie had come out the year before, more of a sleepaway camp type of deal, where it was going to turn mm-hmm. out her. Like, you know, this whole time, she's schizophrenic, she's having, because they do drop that earlier, that, you know, oh, this one is yes, so blah, 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 Yeah. Um. that, you know, she didn't realize that she was doing it, almost like a high-tension type of deal, um, but no, instead, we get the soap opera ending of, she has an evil twin that there was absolutely no mention of in any way, at least in Sleepaway Camp, it's set up that there were two kids, you know, like, they yeah. did that right, um, mm-hmm. this, they just... Whatever, it was just there. You know, nothing mentioned, no idea that she had a sibling, let alone a fucking identical twin that obviously her amnesia has taken away.
1: But since you guys, I mean, I I would assume this is your guys' first time watching the initiation. Were you guys Uh kind of like, okay, I'll go with it, you know, evil twin? Or were you guys like, oh, come on, fuck this. Like, you know, so lazy. I mean, to me, I liked it. I liked the fact that they Uh. kind of saved that reveal to the end. Of uh, the killer actually being a woman because we're so used to men being slashers, and in this one you get a woman actually killing people. Well, hey, Pamela in, Vo- Pamela Voorhees was a woman. That's true. But, yeah, you know, but traditionally it's men. So I mean, that's what you think I know, Sleepaway
2: right? Camp was Angela. She was a girl.
1: That's that's true. That, well, simple. she was
2: she she was a, well she was a girl that was really a boy. That but, was a girl. Um, that was no. a
1: girl. That was a boy. But yeah, yeah but, I'll, I'll, uh, no, but I'm I... in the same boat as the ghoul. The
0: problem
2: that was a boy. Well, okay, I, I like yeah. I, I blocked that one out. Yeah.
0: No, no, but Go ahead, th- th- yeah. throughout watching the entire movie, I was in the same boat as the ghoul, all, where I was expecting split personalities and stuff like that. And for the longest time, I was thinking maybe it
1: wasn't the burnt up
0: dad, you know, maybe it was her that's going around doing this.
1: Right. Um, but then you find out it is an evil twin, and she's like, "I'm going to kill you." And then I'm going to take over your identity because, you know, this is what needs to happen. And she goes in for the stab, and Beer Miles shows up, gun in hand. I don't know how she was so happy with her shot because he was drunk as shit, but apparently she's a good crack shot when she's drunk because she manages to shoot the evil twin in the chest and effectively killing her. Um, What I did like, and this is what I talked about with the monkey last night, is that when you get to the finale, you see Peter survive, Jason Randall, the father, survive, and they're being wheeled away in ambulances. But Francis Fairchild is being taken away in a cop car. They're like, yeah, we'll talk about it when we get to the station. So I like the fact that they're actually doing their job. It's not like a regular slasher where they're like, everybody wins. High five. Like, you know, <laughs> this movie's over. It's, you know, yeah, you just shot somebody. So, yeah, we have questions.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's all right. We know you shot someone in self-defense. You just go on home. Here, wrap yourselves up in some police blankets and just stay warm. You know everything's fine. <laughs> we have no we have no actual questions at the station.
2: <laughs> I just choose the love I love Wikipedia's description of the end, like the actual actual ending. Hmm. The film right. ends as a wounded Peter is taken away in an ambulance while Kelly stares at her mother in disbelief. Like, that's, <laughs> that's what happened? That you what read in, in that. Like, uh, yeah, okay. I, did I you just watch found the people, movie? Yeah. people were just, like, looking at each other, and that was about it, man. There was no fucking... <laughs> there was no emoting coming from <laughs> that fucking Dunigo. Okay, I'm sorry, man. She was better as evil fucking... Kelly, Terry, whatever the fucking the, the sister's name was, but you know, that was too too quick, too fast, that was just, yeah. Uh, uh, Kelly was just an amazing it was, character.
1: Yeah, it was too quick, too fast, and it was the fact that that didn't happen. It's like, you know, Peter's being wheeled away into the ambulance, and he's like, yeah, I survived, I'm good. And then you have uh, you know, uh, Vera Miles being put away by the cops. That's it. <laughs> you know, like we have some questions. And they ended up with that really fucking bad saxophone soundtrack at the end. I really wish uh, they avoided huh? it. Because I was devastated when that fucking music hit last, when I watched it originally, and I watched it now. I'm like God, it's just so fucking like romantic, like seventies, eighties romantic comedy movie soundtrack. They couldn't have it like with a little boy go or something like that. Some Don Johnson or something like you know, put it in the eighties.
2: I, I was waiting for the shirtless guy to walk out from fucking uh, from what do you call it? The man? Walk
1: Boys. Uh huh. I still believe. Again, yeah. Not this, like, but, really bad lifetime movies, like, saxophone, piano music to play at the end. Didn't work, but I was like, right. it, it was like, Detec- it was like, like
2: it. detective noir. Bad saxophone. Yeah. That's, yeah that's, you know, like, you expected to hear yeah, somebody, like, start doing, like, a narration at this point.
1: But, yeah, some guy showing up all- with a cigarette in his hand, just kind of recapping the events. Oh, okay. But for all the cheesy soap opera shit that was at the
0: end, mm-hmm. I'll. I'll you know, for throughout the entire movie, I was expecting Got something. four minutes, like fellas. Kelly, yep. Okay. Good. Good Kelly. Bad Kelly struggle and mom ends up shooting the wrong daughter and doesn't know it. And then we have evil Kelly live at the end with that just a shot a of her looking, looking at the camera and smiling. Yeah, it would
1: have been. Oh man. Yeah, I would have loved that. You know. <laughs> yeah. You, you know,
2: could have you had have have it where at some point in the department store, a change of clothes was necessary, and both of them ended up wearing the same outfit for whatever reason. Have her get in the security oh, oh, dude, uniform. Yes. She fucking stole the security uniform. Like you, know, you could have used that at some point to where it's like, okay, do, you don't know which one you're killing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I brought that up to the
1: monkey last night. Yeah. <laughs> I said, you know what? He, she had been watching her sister the entire time. You would think that she would wear the exact same outfit that her sister was wearing. If you've been spying on her that long, you would grab a sweatshirt and you would grab the yellow blouse and jeans and be her identical twin. Not wear a fucking blue she, sweatshirt and jeans so you don't look like her. Her
2: very own words is, I'm going to replace you. I'm going yep. to be you now. And you know, So why not have her in the outfit this way? It's like, yes, you know what? I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to take your place, and nobody's going to know any fucking different.
1: Exactly. Um, So, for time, uh, Monkey, next week is your pick. Do you have one for us? Yes,
0: I do. Um, I want to sit there because we are going to veer a little bit off the hardcore horror track from time to time. Uh, You know, like we discussed in our group. I'm going to sit there and cover something that 80s comedy. It's got monsters. It's, It's full of cheese. But we've all seen it, and I think it's been a long time since we've watched it. So for my picks in October, we're going to go back and we're going to do Transylvania
1: 6-5,000. Good choice. Wow, been a Long time since I've seen that one. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum, brothers. <laughs> going into that territory. I remember watching that back in Comedy Central back in the 90s. So, yeah, I got a soft spot for Transylvania 6-5,000, so... Looking forward to it. Uh, thank you, Monkey. It's going to be a fun one next <laughs> week. I hope to have a couple laughs. I, I like that movie. Uh,
2: I'm not sure if I've seen
1: that one. I know I've seen the
2: box plenty of times in the video store. That's right.
1: But, uh, so, Monkey, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week for your pick. All yeah. right. I'm the Monkey, and I'm out. Good night, everybody. All right. go. Cool. we got one minute left, so go ahead. Oh, i got a minute, man.
2: You know what I can tell you in a minute? I can tell you to go to Bonfire Beat Designs Check out the Etsy page. All kinds of new jewelry is about to come flowing out. The ghoul girl has gone ballistic. She started making stuff again. She got a care package from the Mad Monkey with all kinds of cool little things in it. So thank you, Mad Monkey. Fantastic. Um, Again, though, go to Etsy, Bonfire Bead Designs, all one word. Get your partner the gift of jewelry. I will say it without being offensive because I'm running for president. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Stay scared. Stay scared. <laughs> and until next we meet, enjoy your week. We'll see you back here next week for the Monkeys Pick, Transylvania six five thousand. Good night everybody. We'll see you next time.